It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour. It is Monday, the 17th of September, 2018, and Caesar is home. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas, and this is the MMA Hour right here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Fun show for you guys. All of the usuals, the weigh-in, a round of tweets, the sound off where you become my guest, but also a few guests as well. He has not been in the Octagon for two years, despite being an ADCC bronze medalist and, of course, uh, being the ultimate fighter winner. But he is here on today's show. Ryan Hall will be here uh, at around 1220. At around 1240, he was the commentator for UFC Moscow, one of the best analysts, if not the best analyst in the game. Dan Hardy will join us. To talk about some things that we were going to have you on EJ check at one, we're going to push that back a little bit to about 120, but she will be here. There's still a lot to talk to her about from uh, her comments over the weekend to her future. So a lot to get to. And uh, as always, you can, of course, call the show. You know that, but tweet us as well using the hashtag the MMA hour. And you see that number on the bottom of the screen, 844-866-2468. That is our hotline. You can also, as always, if you don't want to pay the uh, the rate to call for international callers, uh, I believe it is the MMA Hour at VoxMedia.com. Just record a sound clip of you asking a question. Shoot it on over to us. If it's good enough, we'll play it on the air. Uh, hope everyone had a great weekend. I know I did. I uh, did some relaxing uh, after my vacation. Got back to the gym. Let's see what else. I saw The Predator. It's uh, terrible. It's really terrible, but it's fun in that kind of a way. So I uh, I am rested. I saw Canelo Triple G. We'll also talk about that a little later in the show as well. So we got a lot to get to, not a moment to waste. Now, he is the uh, arroz to my frijole. He is the arequipe to my pan. He is the ala to my chambea. He is the cumpleaños to my feliz. Yes. Happy birthday, my friend. Danny Thank Segura, you. of course. I here. appreciate it. How are you doing? Doing well. 26. 26. Yep. Huh? Now, you know what that means. Oh, man. You are closer to 30 than you are 20 now. That's right. Life is yeah. basically over for you. That's what you... Pretty much, yeah. After 25, <laughs> it's all downhill from here. It, so. it truly is. Any any yeah. big plans for 26, either today to celebrate or the year? Like, do you have a thing you want to do in mind at 26? Um, I'd like to pick up boxing, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been training less jujitsu, and I want to focus on that. Now, what is it about boxing you you would want to train, like for the exercise, just to learn how to yeah, strike? Yeah, maybe for the exercise. Uh, my body's a bit run down from from all the jujitsu, uh, so kind of want to take a break from that. Um, but other than that, just you know, keep working hard. Um, you know, keep doing this show, and that's about it. Well, I have I, I, whatever you can do to maintain your body over time, you should do. Yeah. Dude, about uh, four months ago, I was rolling with this guy. He was super bricked up, but he was a white belt. I was like, oh, I'm going to wipe the floor with this guy. You know, not that I'm trying to, but, you know, whatever, just right. looking at it. And he was, like, incredibly good. Come to find out, he was a Division One wrestler. So I was trying to hold him down. Shocker, it was very difficult. In any case, I turned to pivot on the mat, and my, my toe uh, dislocated. Ugh. And everyone was like, oh, six weeks, you'll be fine. Dude, it's been several months, and it literally like feels like it's being set on fire every right. time I step down. Yeah, I mean, at the age of uh, the age of 60, it's it's hard to recover, right? Yeah. I mean. It certainly is. It was a joke. <laughs> no, it's not even a joke. It's my life. You, yeah, I mean, the thing with jiu-jitsu is that it's fun. Uh, sure, you're not getting punched in the face, but, man, you can get injured so easily, and, and, and little things add up over time, so... Uh, it's definitely hard on your body. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, if I had known it was your birthday, uh, Facebook told me this morning. 
I would have brought you some cake, but I have some metaphorical cake in my mind I'm giving you. Surely this is the same. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get the show started here. A couple of questions. Oh, no, no, no. Don't go away just yet. Put them back. Put them back. Not yet. Uh, the calls. How are they? You know what? The tweets were actually better than the calls. Wow. That's yep. unusual. Yep. All right. I'm so guessing, you know, MMA-wise, it was a slow weekend, was, although yeah. UFC Moscow was, was around. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we talked about it before the show. You still have not seen Triple G Canelo, too. Uh, no, I've seen highlights, highlights. but, uh, you know, I haven't seen the actual fight in its entirety. I'll weigh in on that a little bit later, but you did watch UFC Moscow. Now, do yes. you want to tell the story on air that you told me prior to the show? Yes. All right, because uh, that will help me set up the weigh-in. So set it up for folks. We're gonna, it's about Herb Dean. Yes. You have, so, you have the floor. So since I have the greatest of luck, um, I was just watching UFC Moscow, and um, two of my roommates, um, you know, they just decided to join in, and they're not, you know, uh, frequent MMA uh, watchers. They've seen MMA on TV here and there, like, you know, it pops up on, on, on the corner of their eye, and they know what it what MMA is, but have never actually sat down and watched a fight. And how old are they? Uh, 25 and 28. All right. So millennials. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, they sit down with me and it was CB Dalloway versus, I can't pronounce yeah. that gentleman's name, but man, that fight was bad. And, uh, they literally thought CB Dalloway died. So what were they saying? They were just like, Oh my God, wh why is he still hitting him? Wh you know, what's going on? I mean, the whole fight, they were like a little, you know, just nervous just cause you know, it's a fight. Right. Yeah. Um, but once, you know, the, the final, what, 30 seconds of that fight looked brutal, man. And CB Dalloway just looked like he didn't want to fight. And, and when you see someone that just doesn't want to be there, still taking a beating, that, that is literally one of the worst things, like, you know, you can see in MMA. So you basically have the belief that that was a bad, or rather, a, it wasn't even a stoppage, really, because it was sort of between right. rounds and he yeah. couldn't get up and then he called it. So let's call it a non-stoppage. You're not a fan of it. No, not at all. And I think it's terrible for the sport. I think, you know, they immediately did not continue watching. Uh, and I think for new fans, like, this is something that, that, that that's funny. I'm your way, uh, your way on it later on the show, but it's like, these are the type of things that, you know, push people away from MMA. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and it should be corrected. It should be addressed. Sure. It absolutely should be. With that being said. Yeah. We'll check in with you a little bit later. Yeah. All right. Now, with that being said, as he noted, let's get the way in started. It is time right here at the MMA hour. For the weigh-in. All right. Let me weigh in on this. Um, so as he alluded to, it shocked some people and it shocked their conscience, the the lack of a stoppage by Herb Dean at uh, UFC Moscow. This was in the CB Dalloway fight. And the other gentleman's name is, uh, forgive my pronunciation, uh, Murtaz Aliyev. Um, he was an M1 champion. I didn't know a whole lot about him. He looked pretty good, and it was a uh, it was a nice performance by him, especially taking the fight on late notice and everything else involved. So uh, he did his job, right? They tell you keep striking until the referee pulls you off. Now we've had Herb on the show. I believe we had him a couple of weeks ago. Let me state up front: I like Herb Dean a lot uh, as a person. I do think, generally speaking. He is a competent official. Remember, he doesn't just perform these functions. He also has his own training academy where he's training the next generation of referees and officiants to do their uh, various jobs. So he's somewhat of a leader in that community. And I believe that whenever a situation like this happens in MMA, it is always inevitable that people get right to character assassination. You go back to the Yamasaki lack of involvement in Valentina Shevchenko and Priscilla Cachuera. And everyone was out there saying, oh, my God, it was a terrible stoppage, which it, or non-stoppage or whatever you want to call it, super late one. But then 
it turned in, it metastasized into this thing about who Yamasaki is or isn't, how he's a man of ill repute. And none of those things were really very fair. If you want to criticize either his body of work or that particular call, I really had no problem with that. In fact, I agree with just about all of it. But what really kind of bothered me was when they went after him as a person. I got to tell you, as a guy in Washington, D.C., where he has developed all of his academies, or most of them anyway, uh, what that what he and his brother have done for jujitsu, for MMA, uh, for people's lives should not be understated. This is not a guy who is involved in crimes and bad behavior. He's a married father. Um, and, and, and so if you're going to really be serious about a character evaluation, it's really not an argument you can have. Neither here nor there. I'm not going to get into the character assassination of Herb Dean, although I've seen some of that out there. But one needn't do that to really call the stoppage. Now, why do I think that stoppage was bad? Pretty simply, C.B. Dalloway stopped competing. It is true that, again, uh, Murta Zaliev was landing a lot of shots on the blocked face and arms. Like his hands were up and the punches were like hitting the top of his hands or hitting on the forearm. Fair enough. Some of them weren't getting through. But he was also C.B. Dalloway just laying there. He was looking to be saved. And I don't say that to impugn his character. I say that because his character, we know what kind of a competitor he is. We know what he's done in the octagon. That is a natural human response for somebody who's been put through that kind of stress, both in that particular contest and in a cumulative sense. It, some guys just don't, don't want it anymore in a particular fight, and that's okay. And he didn't. And I got to tell you, it really got bad for me when he was laying on his side. But there's a moment about 22 seconds left in the round where he then goes belly down and is just covering up. Folks, that is not intelligent defense. It's okay to cover up at first if you're hurting, but eventually you have to move. Eventually you have to do something. And if you're just covering up over this prolonged period – I don't know how anybody on this planet could call that intelligent defense. And that was a problem for me because then the fight continued for 22 more seconds. Basically, CB had to take the fight into his own hands in between rounds and just either he couldn't get up or didn't want to get up. Whatever it was, it was the right thing to do. That fight should not have gone on. And yes, you can make an argument about the where was his corner. I agree. They didn't do him any favors a whole lot either. There's a lot of people who are complicit here. But let me start, if I can, beyond this preamble with a word. The word of the day, the word of the day here on the way in on the MMA hour on this 17th of September, 2018 is Omerta. Do you guys know what Omerta is? Yes, I think it's a song by a Lamb of God, but that's not what it is. Uh, by its technical definition, Omerta is the code of silence that members of a crime family will use to basically not snitch on each other. Now, I don't mean to borrow the word in its literal terms. I'm taking a sanitized version of that. But in MMA, we have way too much omerta. And here's what I mean by that. If you would like to go through Herb's resume and find various shortcomings, it's not necessarily difficult. I have made a list. This is hardly exhaustive, but just a few to note. In the Hen and Burrell versus Uriah Faber fight, Uriah had a thumbs up. Herb later admitted he didn't see it. Stop the fight. Uriah appeared to be fine. In the Sarah McMahon versus Ronda Rousey fight, McMahon got dropped. He called it, even though she appeared to be able to continue. In Alvarez Poirier won. He called it a no contest, which a lot of people didn't agree with. He later explained himself, but at least it was controversial at the time, given all the various considerations. Cerrone versus Masvidal. He actually kind of intervened before the horn even went in the first round. In C.B. Dalloway versus Khalid, uh, again, uh, Murtazaliev. 
we all know the story there. There's a couple other ones. How about Rockhold versus Weidman? Let that one go almost a minute too long, in my judgment. And Rockhold took a lot of abuse as a, excuse me, Weidman took a lot of abuse as a consequence. And you guys may not remember this one. Here's another one that really sticks out to me. Uh, Pete Spratt versus Ryan Ford. Now, it was loud where he was. Herb Dean couldn't hear the bell. The round extended for another five seconds, and Pete Spratt took unanswered shots from Ryan Ford, and the fight went to the next round, and then he eventually lost. He was super upset about it, and the tape is not very exonerating. But here's the truth about Herb's resume. You don't know about all the good calls he's made because those don't make the headlines. I agree that all of these are not great, or at least some of them are very much not great, but if you really wanted to, for the most part, you could play that game with anybody. You could play that game with Big John McCarthy. You can find all the times he didn't have a great day or a great event. You can play that game with Dan Mergliata. You can play that game with Leon Roberts. You can play that game to a lesser extent, but if you really wanted to, you could play that game with Mark Goddard. You could play that game with Jason Herzog. You could play that game with a lot of people. They're not perfect. Nobody is in any occupation anywhere. Right? They're going to have bad calls, and documenting them is important, but having a little perspective is as well. Now, if it sounds like I'm exonerating Herb, I'm not. Here's what I am saying, going back to the original word about Omerta. Have you noticed there has been no official response by anyone about this? Have you noticed that there are no other referees willing to speak on the record? Have you noticed the UFC hasn't said anything? Now, maybe they've done something privately. Maybe the commission involved here. I don't know who it even would be, UFC or Russia's, whatever the case may be. Maybe they've said something, but we don't really know about it. My major objection is that you can ask a series of questions about this. Not so much the stoppage itself, which appears to be quite bad, but about somebody's record. Because I saw folks saying, well, is this lack of a stoppage disqualifying? And Herb's been on the downswing since 2014. Do we really know that? It might actually be true, but do we really know that? Do commissions keep report cards? When something goes bad, do they actually say anything to them? Do the commissions talk to each other about the referees? We don't know any of these things. And every time I try to reach out to a commission member or get another referee to speak about something, almost universally, it is silence. Silence. Every time. Every time. That doesn't mean that people aren't well-intentioned. That doesn't mean there isn't something happening behind the scenes. It just means we are totally left in the dark because of this code of silence. And it doesn't just affect referees, and it doesn't just affect commission members. It is a problem in MMA generally. MMA has an omerta problem. Fact. Fact. Do you know how much news doesn't get reported because people don't want to talk on the record or even talk to you at all? When Donald Cerrone came out with that accusation about the puppy mill and Jackson Wink, trust me, there's a bunch of journalists who knew about that a long time ago, and it never got published. And every time I tried to look into it, silence. Omerta, one more time. How on earth can it be that we say refereeing is so important that these guys are out here looking after the safety of these fighters? They're that line of defense. You can't have a fight without someone being there. And then at the same time, there's no accountability at all in the public sphere whatsoever. None. There's no transparency about any of this. 
You know, you talk about this with athletic commission members, and sometimes off the record what they'll tell you is, well, I don't want to throw the referee under the bus. Well, what is the fighter who got wronged in Title II here? And frankly, what is the public owed? Maybe we're not owed everything. Maybe we're only owed a little bit. But I don't even know how much that is. Because it differs from commission to commission. It differs from person running the commission to person running the commission. It differs on what their philosophies might be. It differs on the offense. It differs on so many things. And I get that refereeing is a volunteer army, man. It it, it is who comes in that door. And it's not for a lot of money. And it sure as hell ain't for a lot of thanks. Which is why I think some measure of being calm about this, at least uh, Herb's particular act in the larger measurement of his resume is important. He's got a gazillion good calls, and he's got some bad ones. What does that mean? We should have some perspective about that. But the fact that you can never call up anyone and get a freaking answer to anything is why, whether it's Herb Dean or Yamasaki or anybody else, this shit is going to continue. It is going to continue because the power structure in place will guarantee it. It will guarantee it. It's not going anywhere. You want to get rid of Herb Dean? Who are you going to put in that's going to make do a better job? Maybe there's somebody. My hunch is this probably would make things worse. That's my hunch. Why do you think you see Mark Goddard at all these events and Dan Mergliata at all these events and previously Big John, but of course now he's with Bellator or Herb Dean at all these events? Because when you take those guys away, the level of refereeing, not totally. I think Jason Herzog's a very good referee. There's some other good ones as well. But by and large, it just collapses. The quality collapses. So is that the answer? Is that why they get all the refereeing assignments? Is that why there may not be any consequence for this? Is that why we'll probably see Herb either in Brazil or some other event? I, I, I can only speculate because no one ever talks on the record. And that's true for officiating. That's true for many, many fighters. That's true for many, many managers, except when it comes to things like, oh, my client's got a fight coming up. That's why that's the most prominent form of news, because that's the only thing they'll share. We have a serious, serious omerta problem. I am not asking for people to drop dimes on other people unless it's truly warranted. What I'm saying is we need to have more adult conversations. We have almost none of them inside MMA. They're almost not a thing. Because either trash talk is part of a fight, but then it's not really real, and that gets turned into like what criticism is. So if you actually try to make adult criticism, it ends up being treated as slander or something. And so all you end up getting is nonsense praise or phony hype for a fight and nothing in between. And when you try to talk to commission members, silence. When you try to talk to various high-ranking officials inside promotions, silence. You try to talk to other referees to just get some perspective, silence. So I'm not here asking you to love Herb Dean stoppage. And if you really believe that there's a meritocratic case for saying he's slipping or he should be replaced, then that's a conversation that I think probably should be had. That seems a little premature to me, but opinions will differ. But here's the point. It is impossible to hold these people accountable because nobody in power, for the most part, not totally, but for the most part, they don't want to do shit about it. They don't have to because they're not accountable to anybody. It's not about Herb or anybody else. It's about that entire structure that's in place.
that enables this and will continue to enable this and has enabled this because there's no real way to check it except for if a promoter just loses their mind or a fighter request like Daniel Cormier didn't want Herb Dean at UFC 197. They did it anyway, right? You get the idea. I'm just pointing, or maybe it was 214, whatever it was, because what he did at 197. As we wrap up here, let me just say this. Um, if you want change in MMA and you're watching this right now, you have to do something about it. You have to say something on the record. You have to get out there and talk candidly like an adult about the problems, even if it means there are consequences about that. That's true if you're an MMA media member, if you're another referee, if you're an officiant, if you are dismayed with the state of things, but then you recognize whenever someone asks you to speak on the record about it and you don't and you just hide behind the power structure because you can, well, then stop complaining because this is just how things are going to be. And I realize for the average fan, that may sound all a little bit confusing, but the reality is that there is plenty of change possible, but you got to have a little courage to make it happen first. All right. And that's my way in here. Uh, I believe we are supposed to have our, our friend Ryan Hall on. Do we have him on yet, Danny, in the back? Uh, talking to him on the phone. I guess we're going to figure it out whether we're going to have him on Skype or whether we're going to have him on the phone. Um, as you guys know, Ryan Hall has been off for, I think, December 2016 was his last fight, the Gray Maynard one. And I think he might have had some injury woes in between, but he probably could have been back a lot sooner. Now, he's going to be back for UFC 232 against BJ Penn. Do we have him on Skype or we have him on phone? All right, let's go now. We have him on Skype. Let's go now to our friend on Skype, ADCC bronze medalist, three-time ADCC vet, as well as ultimate fighter winner, my friend and yours, the one and only Ryan Hall. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Hey, Luke. Going great. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well. Uh, Ryan, first of all, congratulations on the uh, new addition to your family. How are things? Are you sleeping at all? Uh, thank you very much. Things are going good. Little guy's good, and I'm sleeping some. So, okay. Uh, all right, man. Well, here's the obvious question for you. Uh, your last fight, December 2016. Your next fight, December 2018. Where have you been? Uh, man, been here and there, but always training, always doing some stuff. Um, you know, I've been working hard to improve and doing my best and um, looking forward to, you know, a really great fight against one of, you know, an actual legend. And, uh, you know, there's many legends, there's many, many champions, few legends. And when you get the opportunity to compete against one, I think it's something that you, you should jump at. And I, uh, I look forward to showing what I've learned. All right. So in this time off, have you been injured at all? Um, no, nothing, not meaningfully. I've, I've just been here and there, you know, doing, doing some work with the military, doing some work, um, at the gym, doing a lot of training. Um, but, uh, no, no, no injuries to speak of. No. Uh, were you helping other fighters with their camps? I know you have a various number of associations. Uh, I'm using that in the loosest sense of the term that you, you know, like, for example, uh, Wonder Boy, I know you've worked with him in the past. Did you did you help out any of the fighters with their camps? Um, you know, I, I've been working a, a great deal with my friend, Ton Lee, who's uh, he's signed to 1FC now, um, but uh, he fought on Dana White's Contender Series. He won the uh, interim title for LFA um, and has been doing really well. He's taught me a great deal in the last while striking, and he moved to D.C. after the show. Um, after uh, Ultimate Fighter, and we've been working together since, but I've been spending a, a pretty great deal of time um, helping him out as best I can. Okay, but not traveling around so much. 
Um, no, not, not, not a ton. Just been, yeah, kind of staying mostly in DC, getting here and there, but, um, out to LA, always to work with Kenny Florian whenever I can. And, uh, now I'll be going back up to TriStar as well. I'm um, looking forward to seeing all the guys up there and seeing for us. Okay. So, uh, uh, all right. You've been training this whole time. You've been teaching at 50, 50 as well. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Okay. I, I can never tell because it's a lot of times guys get into UFC and they stop teaching. It's hard to know exactly how much that's a part of your life. But yeah, it, it, I think, sorry about that. It, I guess it comes and goes, but you know, as you get closer to the fight, I think you, you put that on the back burner, but I always try to be a, a part of the gym. All right. So let me just say this. It's very unusual as you might well imagine. You're a bright guy. It's very unusual for a person to basically be not injured and also not fighting. Now you haven't been doing a ton of media either. So I'm going to guess that you either weren't getting fight offers or the fight offers were not to your liking, what like what is, how would you describe the, the the primary reason for the layoff? Well, I'd say there was a series of things. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that there's the gym, there's other things going on in life. And I'm trying to uh, to work on those as well. Um, you know, after after uh, fighting Gray, which I, I felt very fortunate for that opportunity, that was good, and I, I felt you know it was unorthodox, but most definitely by any you know like metric, a dominant performance. Um, similar to the fight against Artem, I, I was definitely looking forward to facing somebody tougher. But what it has turned out to be is that uh, a lot of the guys that are a little higher up the chain, and I'm not talking like way, way, way up there where, you know, I have no business even asking to compete with them, but uh, um, we're very reticent to get into the ring. And that was that was a problem. So I wasn't really, uh, you know, and I expressed the, the interest, you know, to uh, the matchmaker for the UFC, who's never been anything but a gentleman to me, and uh, that I wanted to face very difficult and challenging opposition. And he said, OK. Said I'll let you know when that comes around, and a lot of those guys have turned down the fights. So, uh, no, I've not been spending my time turning down fights, but uh, not a ton of offers have come in. But the ones that have, I've, I've you know accepted wholeheartedly, and uh, you know finally we got a good one. And and you know in BJ Penn you have someone who's clearly not afraid of anyone. This guy fought up to heavyweight, fought Leota Machida, so uh, I don't think bravery is an issue in uh, in his case. And uh, I will uh, try to match that myself. All right, so let me just ask you from a general perspective. I can't say how many fighters come on this show, Ryan. You're hardly alone. And being like, you know, I'm trying to climb that ladder, but the guys at the top of the ladder keep pulling it up, so I can't. What do you think is, why is this more prominent now in MMA? And is there anything that can be done about it? Not so much specific to your situation, but this general problem that I hear about literally every week. Well, you know, I think that uh, it, it's a tough situation because I can understand the risk and reward, um, you know, of of that, that may be out of whack fighting certain people. And I think it explains a lot about why certain guys are able to get, um, you know, a lot of opponents and a lot of, you know, bigger fights than other people might have a, a significant challenge. Say, for instance, Wonderboy, uh, whether now or on the way up, I can't imagine people are lining up to fight Steven just because it's a tricky and challenging fight. And there's only one Steven Thompson running around. So it's not as if there's uh you know let's say you're fighting the best wrestle boxer but you have many like him and you can practice for this guy you can't just go down to the local karate school and find a black belt and say oh man this guy's going to be a good stand-in for, for wonderboy and uh, as a result you know i think it was probably challenging him for him until he managed to get in there against hendrix and ellenberger and then you know you forced the issue because of the success you've had um to get those fights uh you know again it's it's just the nature of the game but you know your pay is not increased as you uh 
as you accept more challenging fights. And you know, you're on a you're on a fixed contract, and that is what it is. But all things being equal, if someone said, Ryan, would you like to fight someone? You know, I'll always prefer to fight the tougher opponent, just because I want to learn and I want to grow and I want to have the opportunity to compete against those people while I can. But uh, someone said, hey, would you like to fight, you know, in your backyard or would you like to fight in New Zealand? I said, well, how much are you going to pay me to fight in New Zealand? Because it's a giant pain in the ass to fly over there. I don't have many Pacquiao money to put everybody up and all my closest friends for, you know, four weeks and get everybody's uh, jet lag squared away. They're like, well, it's going to be the same. I'm like, well, then in that case, I'd definitely like to fight in my backyard. You know, in the second case, you're you're absorbing about one hundredth the hardship and the pain in the butt and everything else. You know, New Zealand would be a lovely place to visit. But uh you know, to go and compete would be tough. So I think it's just the nature of people having a difficult time wanting to accept bigger challenges for really no greater benefit as far as they're concerned in most cases. Do you think there should, is there, is there a case to be made that to the extent you have to travel, pay should be prorated accordingly? That would be interesting. I think that would make it a, a little bit more attractive. You know, again, uh, I think sometimes you find yourself in a situation where it's juice is worth the squeeze. You say, hey, do you want to travel such and such distance to fight? And excuse me, an opponent that you really like to compete against, you say, yeah, absolutely, it's all worth it. But if you're given three equal opponents and three equal paychecks and two of them do not involve flying more than four or five hours or changing time zones significantly, I would say, uh, yeah, it would be difficult to take the, the, the longer, you know, the more difficult, you know, extra you know, baggage that comes along with it. If there was a way to mitigate that, I think that would be great. But, you know, again, I'm not the one doling out the paychecks, and I don't know how that would, uh, how, how moder- manageable that would be. Now, you mentioned that you've been, uh, the UFC's been good to you. So even though you've had the layoff, fair to say that your relationship with the UFC has not been damaged? No, I, I hope not. You know, I mean, uh, everyone, I understand that they have a position and I have a position. And, uh, you know, I do not go along to get along. It's never something that I've been just into for, you know, for its own sake. But uh, at the same time, you know, the last thing I want to do is disrespect anyone or cause people, you know, extra trouble. And I understand that they have a position as a promoter. I understand that other fighters have positions as other athletes. I'm glad that they're able to turn down fights and that they're not compelled to do things that they don't want to do, that this is all at will. Um, You know, at the same time, I understand the frustrating components of that. And I would, uh, you know, I would love to have a linear progression for everyone. Um, so it's easier to say, just like say, for instance, you win the quarterfinal, you go to the semifinal, you win the semifinal, you go to the final, no matter what, you know, I think that would make it a lot easier for everyone else if there were set structure more in place, but you know, fight sports have never been like that for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, it would definitely take quite a bit of doing to change. So as far as I'm concerned, now I understand that other people have their position, but I have mine and I feel very, very fortunate for the opponent that I have. And I'm glad that it took a while and it took a lot of waiting, but I've done my best to make good use of the time. So all things considered, I, I couldn't be happier. It's like the great fight. It took me a year of waiting for that. Now, granted, I had an opponent drop out, and I had to lose that fight, um, you know, through, uh, you know, um, not my own doing. But, you know, it was all worth it to fight someone of Gray's, uh, Gray's ability and stature. And I, I feel the same way about BJ. Yeah, last thing on this. It's amazing how the tournament structure kind of fell out of favor. And now I think fans are looking back and saying, well, maybe too many tournaments is a problem, but some tournaments might be great. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. I guess you look at what Bellator is doing and, uh, you know, Rory, Rory McDonald's got a heck of a challenge on his hands being involved in the tournament and also fighting uh, Musashi, you know, right back to back. But uh, that's, a, that's a tall order. I'm excited for him. But um, but yeah, absolutely. Having that that linear progression, I think, does make it a little bit easier on everyone, matchmakers included, you know, but at the same time. 
you know, then fighting's tough because, you know, you get one injury, this guy drops out, that guy drops out, and, and it shuffles the entire thing. It's it's a little tough. Like, Tom Brady hurts his knee. That really sucks, but the Patriots still play. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of the team goes on. So, yeah, I wonder if it's at least a portion of nature of the game, but I'm curious to see how things change over time. All right. Uh, so the time off to two years, of course, you're always in the gym. I've seen you around town a few times, and every time it's either in a gym or at a tournament. So I know for a fact you've been in that gym for the most part. How do you feel like your progression has happened? And here's what I mean. I'm sure you've gotten better because if you've been training, you get better for the most part. Relative to, say, had you been active, how would you gauge your development these last two years? That's always an interesting question because I think, uh, you know, there's there's an ideal, you know, I, I'll be honest, I don't think it's ideal to sit out on the shelf for extended periods of time. You know, I, I don't think that's the best. Um, but at the same time, um, if, if only I don't believe in ring rust and things like that, it's it's more of a you stay in the groove of competing. And, and I guess if you want to call that ring rust, you could. But uh, I think that what a lot of people call ring rust is you just forget what it's like to be in there. And that's not something that I that I feel is a, a personal issue. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're, when you're competing every so often, um, it, it keeps you pretty dialed in on, on just the process of everything. Now, again, personally, I don't cut and almost, you know, maybe five, six pounds to make 145 and this fight is at 155. So I am 155. So that won't be a struggle at all. It's not as if I need any practice on that. But, uh, I, I think that the ideal would be maybe two, two to three fights maximum a year, but two, two to three fights a year, you know, you go up to the the Donald Cerrone level of getting in there six times a year. That's, that's amazing. It's cool to watch as a fan. I love it. Um, as an athlete, it's very, very difficult to continue developing, you know, when you're always in fight mode, just because I know the, uh, the focus and also the strain that you're under as you, as you get close to being in a fist fight against a bunch of thousands of screaming people surrounding you. And, uh, you know, in a, in a cage against some other dude that, that unless you stop from beating you up is definitely going to beat you up. Uh, it's, it makes it a little bit more challenging to, uh, to be more exploratory in your game. So I, I think that having those, those chunks of time, you know, where that, that you're not under the gun like that is positive. But, uh, I guess it's hard to say exactly how much it would have, the Delta would be from what has been going on to what could have gone on. But all I can say is that I've been in the gym every single day as I have been for the last 14 years and uh, I'm doing my best to work and doing my best to become a complete martial artist. And, uh, again, I, I look forward to testing that against the greatest challenge of my career so far. All right, so BJ Penn, it's going to be in late December, UFC 232. So it sounds like it was his team's request or UFC's request to put it at 155? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I again, I think BJ, it, it was theirs. It certainly wasn't mine um, because, again, 45 isn't, isn't an issue. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think BJ and I are probably close to the same size. And uh, at the same time, you know, he spent his entire career going up to 170, going up to, you know, whatever size Lyoto was at the time when they were both chubby looking. Um, and uh, I, I think it's about time that someone someone gave him the respect of, of letting him uh, call the shots for once. I'll, I'll come up and fight him. And uh, again, no, he's the MMA legend. I'm, I'm the new guy and uh, I have no problem fighting at 55. All right. So let's talk about BJ for a second. Um, on the one hand, he is truly beloved. Uh, our own Guillermo Cruz spoke to him in Brazil. He was down there training, put the gi back on. He was talking about learning the 50-50 and the Barambolo. I'm not sure if you'd seen the interview. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we have to make a sober assessment. Yes, he is a legend, but he hasn't won since 2010. And I'm sure you've seen his most recent performances. To call it a decline, I think, would be would be charitable. We're, we're, do you think he really should be fighting, Ryan? I guess is the question I'm asking. I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I'm just trying to have 
a fair conversation yeah. about where he is. No, I, I follow you, Luke. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's hard to say, you know, as an athlete, I think that as any, any of us, you know, we, you think about doing what you love doing and what you're meant to do. And I know how I feel, you know, when, when I was called by the UFC and they said, Hey, you know, BJ Penn would like to fight. I remember how I felt, you know, and, uh, what, it was immediately I was excited to to face a challenge. Uh, you know, you also that's tempered against the danger of what could happen if, you know, if you don't do your job. But it's, uh, you know, you're doing one of at least I won't go so far as say what you're meant to do, but certainly something you love to do. Maybe something one of the things you're meant to do. And, uh, you know, for a guy like BJ, you know, who is, you know, he is we, we talk about the person, the, the people that have not faced, you know, this competition, that competition because of the risk reward. I think risk and reward is something that's only every now and then factored in for BJ, and and I respect the heck out of him for that. Um, I think it's the sort of thing that that puts you at risk. You know, I mean, you look at him fighting at 170 all those times. You know, he had a, he had a mixed record at 170, but he always performed pretty well, sometimes amazingly well, and always fought only the best. And all of these guys are naturally massive compared to him. And uh, you know, so I guess it, it's one of the things that makes him special. Is one of the things that that can you know, can get you in trouble. And I think that's probably the truth for, for all of us, um, for any of us in anything, it's all of your strengths cut both ways. It's, it's funny how that works, but, uh, I would say, you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, BJ is still very, very dangerous. And I think a lot of the people, and I'm not pointing this in anyone, but a lot of the people that, that look at fighting as if it's like a Madden game where it's like, Oh, I'm a 93 and you're a 96. I'll never outrun you. If you get in the boat in open field, you're going to win. Um, you know, they, the people that are not getting in the ring with him have the luxury of, of being a little bit, dismissive um you know speaking personally that's that's that could that could end poorly so that's certainly not the case for me but i guess i would say um you know it, it's hard to tell anyone when when to hang it up and i think that when bj penn wants to fight i, I think you, you give the guy a fight that's that's my opinion and uh i know very well that this person is very dangerous and you know maybe physically of course he's not the same guy he was when he's 23 but he's also tactically you know evolved and as far as competing against me he's got 30 mma fights vast majority of them at a very high level i have 10 if you count the ultimate fighter so it's it balances out interestingly but i think that also he's being given some some concessions we're fighting at 55 55 is not my weight class um so i think a lot of the things that maybe would have been a trouble in the past like hey you want to fight at 170 against Rory McDonald right now I don't know that that's a great idea but I don't think that's the case here yeah so let's talk about this I know that you came up in the era post pen winning the world championship fair to say he probably inspired you inspired many people to get on the mats and do what they did so let's number one if you could speak about that for just a second but I think more importantly I'm not asking for you know rank the jiu-jitsu his or yours but I do believe yours is probably a lot more modern so I'm wondering how you think not how your jujitsu stacks up better or worse, but type versus type. Um, I think BJ Penn has been personally extremely inspiring to me. Um, I still think that maybe only one or two people have passed the guard like he has in MMA. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe him, Damian Maya, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's, uh, you know, Kenny Florin did a very good job as well. Excuse me. Um, but I, I think that, you know, it, it's funny, you know, I, I, it was interesting. It's very interesting. I've never been in a situation like this quite before where I'm getting to compete against the people that I've looked up to, truly looked up to since, you know, the beginning of my even grappling career. And, uh, you know, I just I think that we have a lot more in common than people realize. Um, it's just I've got some other things as well in the same way that I'm sure he has some things that, that we haven't seen. Um, I have a 
good deal of stuff that I haven't really uh, had the opportunity or the or the need. More in many cases, sometimes a little A, sometimes a little B, um, to show yet. But uh, I, I think that the jiu-jitsu is actually a little bit more similar than people realize. But uh, it'll be interesting to find out on the night. And I just say that I can absolutely say that I've that I've drawn a great deal of, of inspiration and information from watching BJ compete over the years. Yeah, a bit of the king of the closed guard. Um, uh, he has a whole book about it, right? Although it's with the geese, so I guess it's a little bit different. Um, yeah, I'm sure he's got some tricks up his sleeve. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding, quite literally. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering, for folks who say, oh, well, you wouldn't want to test his jiu-jitsu. Now, again, the fight goes where the fight goes. But fair to say you're probably confident enough in your skills to go to a mat with, in your weight class uh, or the, you know, the, the relevant weight classes, anyone in the UFC. Uh, absolutely. I am not the least bit afraid of anyone on the ground um that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that people aren't dangerous and uh again um being better or worse doesn't win you know i've, I've won plenty of times when i've not been the more technically proficient or the more experienced person and I've, I've lost sometimes when i have been um so ultimately it'll come down to uh you know who was able to put it together on the night but uh no i there's not a single person on this planet in my weight range that, that i'm concerned about on the ground you know in a like oh no i can't do this perspective uh by the way now i have i have you on the phone or i should say skype you know i noticed this there was a time i think it was metamorphs one or two i can't quite remember i went and visited you at your old academy and uh you were getting ready i think you were going to take on bill the grill cooper if i'm not mistaken right and then bill got injured or something mm -hmm. something or you remember you got yeah. injured you got injured right I think it might have been both of us. I think he got hurt and then I got hurt. <laughs> wasn't okay. the best. But here's the thing. Since then, I know you've been busy with the UFC, but you haven't taken any, as I understand it, any pro uh, jiu-jitsu matches. Can it be that you're not getting offers? Because I have a hard time believing that. Um, no, you know, periodically, you know, someone, someone will come around and, and offer, uh, you know, for a grappling match. Um, you know, I mean, I, I love jujitsu very much and, and that was where I started. But at the end of the day, you know, I also started though in an era where it was, you know, I, I, BJ Penn won the world championships at black belt, I think the year before, or maybe a year and a half before, uh, before I started jiu-jitsu, so the people that I was looking at were, that was, you know, in the time, you know, when back when Horse Gracie was fighting at, you know, the year-end show for Pride every year and stuff like that. And um, it was just one of those things where jiu-jitsu was more closely tied to MMA at, at that time than it is now. And, it, and, you know, obviously there's always a crossover, but um, it, it was, MMA was always the goal. And, I, you know, I like, I love jiu-jitsu very much, you know, and I would, there's a couple people that I would love to compete against, but uh, at the same time, it's always been difficult because, you know, with MMA not having seasons and things like that, you never know when you can get a call to do this or that. And uh, I, I'm a big believer in taking whatever I'm doing as seriously as possible, you know, for its own end, for myself, and also because I don't want to disrespect my opponent by showing up unprepared. And, uh, you know, if, if you get four months into doing something, Something else, then someone calls you for an MMA fight. It's difficult to do that. Or if you're deeply involved in MMA, I think I could go back over and grapple. I could definitely grapple much more effectively now than I ever could. But it's it's more of a, at least personally, like a focus and an interest thing. So you know, if, if if someone just appeared at my gym and wanted to train or wanted to compete, I would love to do that. But as far as hey man, do you want to fly over here, do this, do that, get ready for a a grappling match that in, in all likelihood the other person is going to spend a great deal of time stalling. I'm I'm not gonna probably spend a ton of time on that but that being said i'm still a huge fan of uh of jiu-jitsu and grappling and, and there are many people that i really really uh you know enjoy watching it at the time and uh or you know right now but i'd prefer to fight MMA.
And so let's say things go your way on uh, late December and you get the win, you get your hand raised over BJ, looking to stay active again, I'm assuming, in 2019. Like, I'm, I'm guessing you want to get right back on the horse and stay on it. God willing, yes. <laughs> I would, uh, <laughs> if, you know, win, win, lose, or draw, I absolutely look forward to competing a lot more frequently. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that, you know, that the performance that I put on will, uh, um, you know, win, lose, or draw, uh, you know, create an opportunity and, and, uh, an interest in, in other people being willing to fight. Um, I guess, you know, time will tell, but it's, you know, again, right now I'm 100% focused on facing absolutely the, uh, the greatest challenge that I've ever personally faced in martial arts. And, uh, I will just look forward to that and then we'll see what happens after. Well, as a fan of you and as a fan, of course, BJ was the first fighter I ever really idolized, to be quite candid. Um, I hope that some portion of this goes to the ground. Just selfishly, it would be kind of fun to see. But wherever it goes, I wish you nothing but the best of luck, Ryan. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's been a, a long two years, but I know a lot of people are excited to see you back in there, and I'm one of them. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Luke. I really appreciate it. I will do my best. All right. See you out there. All right. There he goes, Ryan Hall. Uh, I met Ryan Hall years ago, years ago. I think he was a blue belt at the time. And this was uh, back when he was, uh, you know, I think he left after being a purple or so, something like that. Maybe he was a brown belt with Lloyd Irvin, but this was back in the Lloyd Irvin days. And I met him back out there in Camp Springs. And uh, I just remember him, like, shooting through all the belts and just tearing people to pieces. It was kind of crazy. Um, and, and uh, you know, this the last two years have been a really unfortunate amount of time. Two years is a long time, you know. But you hear from some of these guys, man, that, that, that just stay active. They don't worry about the ring rust. They think they'll be fine. I, I really hope that's the case because I still think Ryan Hall's got a lot left to give. And it'll be good to see it. Now, we go from Ryan Hall to uh, our next guest, who is just a great, great analyst. He uh, called the fights at UFC Moscow. He's, uh, well, he's just wonderful. We got him back on the show now. Our first repeating guest here during my tenure on the MMA uh, Hour. It's time for the Monday Morning Analyst with Dan Hardy. We're going to have the graphics. There we go. All right. Let us go to Dan now. He joins us on Skype. I'm guessing back at home at this point. Let's see. Are you back home, Dan? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can. Can you hear me, Dan? Yeah, I got back home last night. Uh, oh, yeah, it must have been, a, must have been yeah. a very long trip. Uh, first of all, great job calling the fights. How was Moscow? Uh, it was it was wild. It was it was a beautiful city. Um, the weather was beautiful. The food was nice. It was it was really cool. It was really cool. I mean, the arena was it was amazing. There were the fans. There were there were fourteen thousand in their seats for the first fight, which you know for me is is amazing. I Paul Felder said that they let feral cats into the building to control the rodent population. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't see any feral cats around. There was a, a, a funky smell about the place, but, um, you know, I, I was there for the fight, so we just, you just get on with it. I, I didn't mind too much. The, the fans were amazing. The atmosphere was great. All right. It looked pretty good on TV. It looked like a well-attended crowd. So let's get to some of the bigger parts here, right? Uh, let's start with the main event. Alexi Olenek getting the win over Mark Hunt. I got to say, I'm surprised about only one thing that he was able to take the big punches and the big one punch that he did. But I'm not surprised he's got quite the strangle. So from your vantage point, what was so special about that Olenek win? Um, well, 
the, the fact that he the fact that he was able to take Mark Hunt's back immediately and work a choke. I mean, I had a couple of conversations with him earlier in the week about uh, his his ability to submit Mark Hunt with chokes. Um, I had him demonstrate the Ezekiel on me and explain why that wouldn't work. And he was talking about how you know Mark's got big shoulders and he's got no neck, so it would be difficult. So I was actually expecting him to work ankle locks uh, and leg leg locks because that's really probably the, the best the best thing to attack Mark Hunt with if, if you're looking for submission vulnerabilities. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, to be honest, as soon as I saw his lead leg start to give out, I thought Mark Hunt was, was looking for the rear uppercut knockout because, uh, it, I mean, he chopped into the lead leg probably three times and you could see Olenek was starting to put weight on the leg and it was starting to give. And then Mark Hunt was throwing a lazy jab and stepping away like he was trying to draw Olenek in. And, and I was expecting him to try and get Olenek to step heavy on the lead leg and then fall onto the uppercut. And I think I think a part of the reason why it did end up on the floor so quickly was because Olenek probably knew he only had one shot to get it to the floor. So as soon as he got the opportunity, he just clung to Mark, Mark Hunt wherever he could. He, he stayed on, the, on him. I mean, it was a pure striker-grappler matchup, really. I mean, we, we know Mark Hunt doesn't really work a great deal on the ground. He works his get-ups and takedown defense a little bit, but he's a kickboxer. And, for, I mean... I love Mark Hunt for the fact that he's he's willing to just be a kickboxer in MMA and seeing how far he can take it. And and I think that's what happened. I think we saw that limitation. I have to say, I talked to some of the trainers at ATT about Olenek, and they said it hurts to shake his hand, that he has just an absurd, absurd kind of grip. And you notice this, Dan. Man, he got it under the throat. It wasn't even fully all the way on, and the look on Hunt's face was pure panic. Olenek must have an outrageous grip. Yes, absolutely he does. As I said, I had him do the uh, the Ezekiel choke on me. And I mean, the two things I noticed, one is how big, big his hands are. So then you've got to think his hand with the, with the glove on top. And it's actually it's actually a, a, like a figure four position, like a rear naked choke position from the front. But then he drives his, his fist into the neck. And... I mean, it's it's an incredibly compressive squeeze. His nickname's perfect. And the other thing I noticed is the shape of his shoulders. So he's very rounded in his upper body, which means that he's able to get a lot of leverage to drive his, you know, upper shoulders and deltoids into the choke as well to really make it very compressive. I've I've often felt that there are certain people that have got the right, you know, the right physical uh, makeup to do certain chokes, like Ben Rothwell's front choke, his go-go choke, for example. Ben Rothwell is going to be able to do that much easier than someone like Stefan Struve, who's not got the the body mass to kind of, you know, to, to fold the neck underneath. I just think it, it may be a case of that with Olenek as well. I think he's got the right shaped shoulders and arms and these big old plates of meat for hands that you can just cram into your neck. And getting a win like that in his, what, early to mid-40s, kind of incredible. Who do you think he should fight next? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, there are a lot of people. I would like to see him fight someone like, uh, I mean, Overeem would be an interesting fight. Um, Overeem's going to be going to be backing up, trying to counter him as he comes in. Um, I think Overeem's far more mobile than Mark Hunt when it comes to takedown defense as well. Um, so I think that would be a good test for him. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I like seeing these veteran guys fight each other. I think when it comes to the heavyweight division, there's a lot, it comes a lot down to, uh, wisdom and knowledge and experience, which is why we see these guys that are in their early 40s with 50 fights on their career, and they're still doing well at the top, is because experience pays so much more dividends at the top because the margin for error is so narrow. 
That takes us to the co-main event. Jan Blachowicz just, I, I don't want to say making easy work of Nikita Krylov, but it didn't have a whole lot of problems controlling him pretty strongly in the first round, um, getting right back to work in the second. My God, his improvement, I'll be honest, I thought Krylov was going to have his way here. Totally wrong. And Blachowicz now, four-fight win streak. What do you think has been the difference in these four fights? Um, honestly, I think it's just confidence. I think that's all it is. I think he came into the UFC with a lot of confidence because he was a, a big star in Poland. You know, he, he was a, 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 a KSW champion coming over. So there, there were there were high hopes for Jan, and I think he was I think he was he was carried into the UFC on that momentum, and his confidence was on the rise. And obviously, with the big stoppage of Latifi from the body kick, you know, it was a great start for him. But um, you know, he, he ran into a little bit of turbulence. He, he, he didn't have a, he didn't have a couple of fights his way, and I think he was a little bit discouraged. And I think it's taken a couple of good performances, um, to, you know, to really get him back to the mindset of of uh, you know of a championship run. I think the Devin Clark fight was a big one because uh, you know he got a good squeeze on that rear naked choke finish. He defended some takedowns. I think he's shown us as well that he's a well-rounded mixed martial artist. We, we, we've seen him work submissions off his back as well as uh, have good boxing. So. A friend of mine uh, made made, a, um, uh, made the connection of uh, Stipe Miocic as well, and how how he didn't necessarily, you know, smash his way onto the scene and become, you know, an immediate prospect. He kind of crept on us a little bit. You know what I mean? I think it's a good it's a good uh, likeness. I think Jan's in that stage where he he needed that one, you know, one or two tough lessons in the division before he before he was ready for a title shot. And I think he's on his path now. Two other fighters to talk about in that main card very quickly, if we can. Andre Orlovsky and Tiago Alves. Now, neither of them getting blown out at all. Tiago Alves, uh, you know, was a pretty, you know, I wouldn't say, com wasn't necessarily all that competitive, but he was moving a lot. He didn't take a ton of damage. And neither did Andre Orlovsky. Where do you think those guys are in their career? Both guys, I think, we often talk about the heavyweights who reinvent themselves as they get older. I think Tiago Alves has actually done a little bit of that as well and doesn't get any credit for it. Where do you think they are? Because they're not, when they're losing now, he lost to Taito Ivasa, Orlovsky did. But that was very close. And this one, kind of close-ish, I guess. What do you make of, of what happened? Yeah, again, you know, very similar to, to Jan Vlahovic, I think, in the opposite way. I think confidence is a big thing for both of those guys. I think, uh, you know, both incredibly talented, both able to beat whoever in the division on a good day. Um, I think Thiago Alves was quite happy to accept the counterfighting um, game plan too much. And I think that allowed... Uh, Konchenko to push forward and look very dominant. Um, I mean, I was watching the significant strikes. I, I don't always agree with the strike counter because you know the debate on what a significant strike is is you know is is not nowhere near finished. So I don't always take you know I don't always pay too much attention to it. But Thiago Alves was ahead for a lot of the fight on the significant strikes. He was landing more, but I don't think his strikes were as significant because he wasn't progressing forward a lot of the time. Um, and I, I think Konchenko looked good. I think he showed a well-rounded set, a skill set, and I think um, I think his future is bright. You know, I, I, I don't think it was necessarily that Thiago Alves looked bad. I just think Konchenko came in and looked strong, looked confident from the get-go. Um, and, and with Andre Olowski again, confidence. You know, it's a confidence thing. He just didn't seem to want to pull the trigger. I felt there were a couple of times where you know where he could have really stepped up. I would I would say probably two minutes into the second round. There was a visible change in the posture of Abdurahimov. I, I, I saw, I, I saw him kind of he fatigued, his feet flattened a little bit, and he, I don't know, his face just changed slightly. And I, and I felt like that was the opportunity where Andre Olovsky can push forward, and, and he, 
he chose not to. It was a choice, and I'm sure he was very frustrated with himself afterwards. That goes to the, what do you want to call this, non-stoppage. And you guys on the call, you, Paul Felder, uh, Mr. Gooden, all of you guys were kind of dismayed. I, we share your opinion at home. The Khalid, uh, I'll pronounce his name wrong every time I say it, Murtazaliyev taking on C.B. Dalloway. Here's the way I looked at it, Dan, was like if you didn't want to stop it when he was on his side, but he was covering up because some of the shots weren't going to get through, even then I thought you could have made a case to stop it. But when he rolled belly down and he was just covering up, that's when I just cannot understand why that fight didn't get stopped. Now, thinking about it a couple of days later, what do you make of what went wrong there? Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, I find it difficult to criticize Herb Dean because he's refereed me before and he's been excellent. You know, he's had, he's had an excellent career as a referee so far. I mean, I, I don't know, honestly know what, what went wrong, to be honest. For me, and I think for everybody in the arena who started to boo, I think we all saw that the fight was over. You know, when you're not intelligently defending yourself. I mean, Dolloway, I think it was, I watched the fight back today, actually. I think it was 26 seconds before the end of the round, I said something about Dolloway, you know, fatigue had taken over. He had nothing left to give. He was trying to fight back. He's a warrior. He's not going to give up. Um, and just a personal comment, I always appreciate a guy that will, will take the beating until the referee stops it. But that's what the referee's for. It is to save a fighter from themselves and from their own ego and pride you know and i felt like Herb did him a disservice there i would say you could have saved him from at least 10 seconds of punches um you know he was curled up on his side then he moved belly down which for me as soon as you see someone belly down that's it they're done they're, they're, that's not intelligent the defense in defending yourself I, I don't know i'm not sure i'm sure that uh, there was a conversation with, with Herb dean about it and, and i'm sure he sees the error in the stoppage now but yeah it was even confusing at the end because you know that the round ended and, and with one army pushed uh, Mertes Aliyev away, and with the other army waved the fight off. But then the impression was given that the fight was continuing, and Herb was seeing if CB Dalloway wanted to continue. It was I don't know. There, there was a momentary lapse of concentration there for Herb Dean, and it was very very dangerous for Dalloway. Any other standouts on that card for you that were worth the mention? Um. I, I thought there was some incredible performances. I thought uh, the fight between Peter Yan and uh, Jin Su Son was incredible. Um, I, I'm really, really high on Peter Yan. I think he's very, very impressive. I think he's going to go a long way in this division, and I think he's going to cause a lot of people problems. But at the same time, you know, Jin Su Son, especially, you know, he, he took the fight on short notice. Uh, he did miss weight, but I did see the effort that he put into making weight. Um, I, I mean, I, I, just, I enjoyed the fight. I enjoyed his heart, his spirit. I enjoyed the entertainment value of uh, of his character. Um, and I think, you know, matched right, I think we get some really interesting fights out of him. Um, I, and the other one that stood, stood out to me was uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Johnson, big swing in Jordan Johnson. Um, I mean, for me, I've always respected and looked up to the Iowa, Iowa Hawkeyes. You know, I, I was massively inspired by Dan Gable, and I used to watch Compestor Supreme at least once a week. So I, I, just, I had it drilled into me how, how dangerous and dominant the Hawkeyes were. So when I saw he was on the card, I was very excited. And he delivered. I mean, he just he looked incredibly impressive. He looked strong. He looked powerful. He looked patient. Um, I had a great conversation with him afterwards. I, I think he's a real character, and I think that he's going to rise quickly to the top in this division. I really do think that with that wrestling base that he has, that um, he's going to be able to build off that and, uh, and give us some real fun fights to watch. Yeah, a good fight for him at middleweight. I was glad to see him drop down that division because he's going to be a powerhouse. Speaking of uh, Iowa and their wrestling program, have you ever seen the documentary The Season? 
No, I haven't. No. Oh, buddy, you season. are missing it. Yeah, they they spent an entire season with the Iowa Hawkeye wrestling team back when Steve Mako, who briefly fought in MMA, has been a coach at ATT, was on the team. And there's a famous quote in the first episode where Mako looks at the camera. He goes, you want to know why I like wrestling? Because when you dominate someone enough and you beat them enough, you can change them as a person. It is chilling to watch. If you've not seen that, I'll send it to you. Uh, I'll email it to you. You got to see this. It's incredible. Uh, all right. So with that time we have remaining, let's uh, let's move to uh, next week. Well, two weeks from now, I suppose. The UFC 229. You got to be amped for this. I know you're going to have a bunch of good stuff coming out on the UFC's YouTube channel. It should be a, 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 a well, it's going to be fun for all the parties involved. But here's what I want to know. Someone keeps saying to me on either side, the Connor side, oh, he's going to starch him early. Now, he might, of course, you never know. And on the other side, the Habib fans, oh, Habib's going to ragdoll him. And my theory has been, I don't really know who's going to win. It's very hard to figure out. But I think both guys, like Triple G Canelo, they're going to get, they're, both of them are going to get marked up by the time someone gets their hand raised. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think everybody's right. And I think, you know, you can't, you can't argue like you know for sure because nobody knows for sure. We could get... You know, we could get Connor switch him off in 13 seconds with a, with a sweet left hand because we, we know he can do that. And we know that Khabib's going to come forward because that's what we've seen for 26 fights now. You know, that's what we expect from him. 26, 27. I'm losing track. When you get that many wins, it doesn't really matter, does it, anymore? Um, and and the, or the other alternative is that we do see Khabib just maul him for, for however long it takes, which may be five rounds, maybe not. Um, honestly, I played this fight out probably 300 times a day in my head. And the, the more than not, I get to the same conclusion, which is Connor loses the first two rounds. He gets taken down. He gets beaten up. He gets bloodied. Uh, Khabib shows dominance. He's talking to him. I think it's going to be a very entertaining couple of rounds with Connor being down on the scorecards, 10-9, maybe even 10-8. The third round comes about, and the same Khabib as we saw in the first and second round starts marching forward, and Connor's able to use his superior footwork and, and walk him onto a left hand. Hmm. Um, I think unless we see a development in Khabib's footwork, um, Connor's got five opportunities to knock him out with a clean shot. And, and given the fact that, that I mean, you, you go back, and I'm not, I'm a massive fan of both of these guys. Please don't, I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on one side over the other. I'm just going based on evidence. So, so if you go back and watch Khabib's fight against Michael Johnson, we saw him get hit and hurt. I would say that Connor hits harder than Michael Johnson, just purely based on what we've seen him doing in the UFC. So, that would be my argument in that case. The, the other argument is that if we watch uh, Khabib fight uh, Iaquinta, he, he he walks in a circle. You know, the octagon, the, the inside of the octagon is endless if you just follow your opponent in a circle. You can follow them all day, every day. Whereas if you, if you get to the if you get the understanding, you can kind of download that information where you actually can make the, the octagon smaller by painting them into a corner and then force them to deal with your attack, whatever that is. You, you can make the octagon feel like a phone box, but for, I've not seen that development in Khabib's game because because what he does works so well. So he just continually re rinses and repeats. He walks people down. Um, I mean, I was I was I'm, I'm I'm going off on a tangent now slightly, but the Edson Barbosa fight. You, you would think with Barbosa being such an excellent striker, he would be able to do the same. But Barbosa's game is predominantly kicking, and you need so much more space uh, and so much. You know, so perfect timing to land a kick that would stop somebody. Whereas Connor can find a window for that left hand very easily. I just don't think he's going to have it all his way. One last question, two parts. 
we know that Connor has better striking than Habib. We know that Habib has probably better grappling than Connor. I think it's probably fair to say in either direction. So let me ask it in a different way for both guys. How good is Connor McGregor's takedown defense? How good is Habib's striking? Um, I think I think Habib's striking is developing. I will say that it's very elementary in the way he goes about it. I mean, his fundamentals are fairly good. Um, his lead his lead punch is very unorthodox. I covered it in an inside the oxygen a while back because it, it's it's like a it's in a left hook position. <laughs> But he lifts it up under the chin. Uh, he knocks out Thiago Ramirez with that punch. Um, sorry, it's okay. <laughs> I got dogs too, man. They're just gonna have their way with you, whether you like it or not. That's hilarious. There, who's the dog? This is Ia. Oh, what a cutie! Okay. <laughs> um, where was I? Yeah. So. He's got very, he's got very, very elementary striking. I would say it, it's good for what he does, but it's ultimately to serve the purpose of getting him inside so he can get his hands on someone. Um, we may see a development in his striking in this in this fight. He may have been working on things specifically for a southpaw that we've we've not really seen. I, I don't know. I mean, I will give him the credit to say that he is developing between fights. I just don't know whether he's going to be able to make that leap to the level where Conor McGregor's striking is. Um, I think Conor McGregor's takedown defense is, is, is okay. I think his gas tank struggles when he's under a lot of pressure. And I've not seen anything that would prove me otherwise. Um, but what I will say is that we, I do think we do underestimate his ground game. Um, if you go back to the Max Holloway fight, he looked very smooth in his transitions on the ground. Uh, I would say he looked the same against, uh, against um, Dennis Seaver as well, uh, you know, pa passing over to Mount. You know, he's... His, his understanding of the ground is, is very good. I just don't think we've seen a great deal of it. Um, but I, I think we will be forced to. But I, I do think he can work with elbows. I do think he's going to take some shots and get bloody. It might look a lot like the Mendes fight. Hmm. I think that's about right. Yeah, I'm not sure which way it's going to go, but I, I, I think it's going to be a bloody, ugly, and beautiful affair all the same. Uh, Dan, great work as always. Thank you for your insight, and thank you to the little one here as well. They always make their presence known, don't they? Always, always. She's such a shock. She's from Vegas, though, so that's probably why. I get it. All right. Thank you, Dan. Get some rest. Appreciate all your insight. Thank you. There he thank goes. you. Speak to you well, again. Likewise. Yes, yes, we will. We will definitely do that. All right. Wonderful, wonderful perro there. Good dog. All right. Uh, I believe we're going to have Miss Yin Jacek in about 15 minutes. So that means. We should do it now. I believe it is time for a round of tweets. Yes? Let's do that. Where is my... There's the thing. The little timer. All right. Timer starts when the first tweet goes up. Let's do it. Here we go. Which is... I think they were meant to write more detrimental to their sport. Late stoppages in MMA or poor biased judges in boxing? The answer is... Uh, poor biased judges certainly creates for an atmosphere of cynicism, but in terms of what's actually worse, the late stoppages, because the late stoppages or the non-calls, whether it's MMA or whether it's boxing, that's really how somebody gets hurt or somebody gets killed or somebody gets maimed. So cynicism is not great, but that's not nearly as bad as either turning people off like Danny's roommates, getting somebody killed, getting somebody really badly hurt and affected. 
definitely going to be the late stoppages or the non-stoppages that happen in either of the combat sports. Next. Uh, does Olenek have the most impressive submission resume in MMA history? I've never seen such an assortment of different submissions. He certainly has one of the most unique ones. He's got one of the most complete to a degree. He's got one of the most diverse. It's really, really interesting. Now, anytime you have a great submission streak like he does at heavyweight, you have to temper that with the depth of competition. Not to say he hasn't fought tough guys. He just fought a tough guy. That's a great, great win. But generally speaking, you need to have some measure of uh, uh, managed expectations and managed uh, assessment there. But I will say he's probably got the most impressively unique submission history with the Ezekiel chokes. Um, but you know what? There's some reality to it, too. Like his grip is – everyone knows it for the Ezekiel choke and how, like, uh, unorthodox that is. But you look at his grip and how powerful it is. Uh, and that is something that can translate to a broad array of different submissions. So to me, it's like, who are you subbing and how are you subbing them? You know, uh, Alistair Overeem has a, f a phenomenal guillotine choke, but a lot of those are also complimented against guys he was able to get against standing. Um, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have a good one. It's just that's not the best representation of it. So to me, impressive as hell, amazing what he's doing. I definitely would say, if not the best one, certainly the most unique one for sure. What's next? How shitty does that new Predator movie look? <laughs> and when is Danny Segura going to bring back the mustache, bigote? Uh, well, look, you got to ask the birthday boy, the cumplinero himself. But the new Predator movie is terrible. In fact, when I went to go see it, I was walking into the theater. There were two people in my theater, me and some other dude who probably thought he was wandering into a porno theater and just happened to end up in Predator. Or maybe he thought <laughs> Predator was the name of the porno movie he wanted to go see. Either way, it was just me and this other weirdo in there. And as I'm walking into the theater, the dude who took my ticket goes, uh, this movie's only good if you treat it like a comedy. I go, but it's not a comedy. He's like, right. I was like, hmm, okay. I mean, it's got some fun scenes. Uh... Olivia Munn has a terrible character. The blonde dude is terrible. The guy from uh, Key and Peele is really good. It's it's really bad. I will say two best Predator movies, the original, and not Predator 2 or any of the Alien vs. Predator, Predators with Adrian Brody. Yes, indeed. All right, what's next? Is the UFC relying too much on the media and fans to promote its fights and fighters, seeing as they haven't been promoting too much this year? What a great question. The answer is Yes. They are basically farming out, not the entire responsibility, because that's not true. They are buying assets that go on billboards, on video assets, and they're taking out commercial time. They're doing all of those things, and then they are setting up media tours, but then it's the media's job to get the word out. So, like, in the end, the media ends up, and, and to an extent this has always been the case and always will be the case, they end up being like a de facto promotional arm. It's like if Tyron Woodley's not doing his champ camp, what is he doing? If Tyron Woodley's not, or, you know, if uh, uh, um, I think he had a new video come out, Dale Duro, with uh, El Kukui, Tony Ferguson. If he's not making that, who's making that? So the answer is, like, the fighters are doing things themselves, and the media has taken the brunt of the responsibility. And then there are all these purchased assets that are out there, which are important, but it's not exactly like it used to be. Next. Uh, who wins in an MMA fight between Lil Pump and Danny DeVito? I don't know who Lil Pump is because I'm almost 40. Next. Uh, what do you guys think about a potential Diego Sanchez versus Demi and Maya matchup? No, don't like it. Personally, I think it makes a lot of sense for both fighters at this stage of their careers. No, I, I think uh, Demi is probably a little bit too big. I know Diego's fought at that size before, but I don't like it for him. I don't think it's appropriate. 
And Demian Maia, I think, certainly has taken a lot of damage in his career, but uh, probably not the best matchup for him. Diego, that is. Next. Uh, what do you think of Mayweather versus Manny rematch at the end of the year? I am so glad you asked that question because here's what we'll do. I usually will end all of my answers inside of this narrow window that we do called a round of tweets, but I'll carry that forward if I will while we wait for Missy and Jacek to be here in about 10 minutes. There you go. There's, <laughs> there's our buzzer. Our buzzer sounds suspiciously like our intro. I don't know what that means. In any event, so you asked about what I think about Mayweather Manny, Manny rematch. Did you guys see, by the way, Bob Arum, who's the head of top rank after 17 years, is now out of the Manny Pacquiao business? Yes, he is. They have uh, parted ways. The, the, some of this was telegraphed uh, earlier this year on social media, but it became official. So I have so many questions about this. First of all, is it official or is it not official? Because you see in, was it Tokyo, Manny, and Floyd – are at a rave, and Floyd's like, I'll do it again. It's like, first of all, why are you both in Tokyo, and why are you at a rave? Or don't, aren't you guys like my age? Aren't you guys like 40? I mean, what are you all doing here? Number one. Okay. Number two, did you see the way that Mayweather introduced it? I mean, Mayweather out here, it's just he's amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. His caption, and I'm paraphrasing here, was, oh, you know, I'm going to fight Manny Pacquiao, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be another nine-figure payday for me. It's like he knows he's going to get paid even if the value of this fight is incredibly dubious. Now, I realize that um, Manny Pacquiao had a nice win over Lucas Matisse on ESPN Plus earlier this year, but to say that he's back would not, well, that that would just be way too strong of a statement. And more to the point, um, does anybody think the second one would actually be competitive in an interesting way? Maybe in the sense that both are diminished versions. And so in their diminishment, there is greater parity, something like that. I don't know. For me, Mayweather has always been, especially late stage Mayweather. So I won't say always, but certainly late stage Mayweather has always been exceedingly calculating and very much likes to hit at the table when, metaphorically speaking, when it's in his, odds are very much in his favor, you know, taking a pre-prime Canelo, taking a post-prime Cotto, or just other challenges where he kind of knew uh, he had the edge. Now, not totally, but late-stage career, he definitely did a lot of that. I think he just likes his chances against Manny. He thinks he'll win again. He thinks he'll get paid. Folks have asked, what kind of number would it do? Let's say it does half the original. Half. That's still $2 million plus. Right, it's still an astronomically, but would still make it one of the biggest pay-per-views ever. And based on the response, I saw a lot of people being like, "Yes, our own Brian Campbell from CBS Sports, who's of the MMA beat." He was like, "I'm all in on old guys fighting." Well, I think our friend Brian, I love him to death, been eating too many uh, gas station hot dogs because, I, you know, it's gonna sell because Logan Paul. If Logan Paul, we live in a world where Logan Paul versus KSI sells. How on earth wouldn't? Mayweather Pacquiao too, despite it being utterly unnecessary and utterly irrelevant. Uh, of course it will. Of course it will. Um, but I, you know, asking about personal interest, none. And the fact that Mayweather is nakedly bragging, he's going to take everyone else's money sort of tells you what really this is about. 50, 50 cent, I believe on, was it on Instagram? Where was it? I don't remember saying that you know, he thinks Floyd's running out of money, which you, you would be asking, how was that possible? I don't know. But it is because, or maybe it is because, why else would you be fighting Manny Pacquiao after getting over $300 million about a year ago uh, fighting one Conor McGregor? But if you can make another 
cool, you know, cool hundred, 200 mil. Why not do it? Right. Um, okay. So that was that piece of news from the tweet there. What about the other big boxing fight this weekend? I had two takeaways from Canelo triple G. If I can, first of all, it was great to see the fight. What a phenomenal fight, right? Just sensational action. Both guys absolutely brought it. I have, I have two real feelings about the fight now that it's over. And the first is that I saw a lot of people being like, boxing's corrupt. I mean, it is to an extent, right? Boxing is, these, these judges are corrupt. These judges, you know, squirts yellow mustard. These judges, they're out here just, they're just taking bribes. And I'm like, I have, I have good news and I have bad news for you, right? The good news is they didn't take any bribes. You know, you never really know, but my hunch is that that's not really true. Here is the bad news. You live in a world where you can have a sport where three different responses, all of them different from the other, one as Canelo unanimous decision, one as draw, one as Triple G unanimous decision, all three are basically justifiable in the end. Now, I had Triple G winning. I take my hat off to Canelo for marching forward. He got a little tired there late, but wow, what a, what a ballsy way to fight against a heavy-handed fighter like that. Amazing, right? Totally amazing. Um, so, I, I, you know, I have a little bit of trouble understanding exactly how Canelo won, but he did. I can't really cry about it. It's not a robbery at all. When your fight is that close, that's just what you get. But I just saw some of the responses. They're like, this is a robbery because boxing's corrupt. Well, boxing's corrupt, but not not so much. I mean, yes, historically, there have been people who've taken and given bribes. I understand. But that's really not the problem. The problem is here you have a scoring criteria where one person winning and then their opponent winning and then neither winning. All of them are justifiable outcomes. I mean, can you imagine something so absurd in any other sport where there's a definitive score and that's just what it is? Like you're what you're going to interpret that the Redskins beat the Colts over the weekend? I mean, this just it's laughable on its face. But this is just what you get with a 10-point must system. This is what we have inside MMA. And it's frankly, however bad you think the 10-point must system is, it's, you know, it's designed around boxing. And even boxing can't get to a situation where they don't have a situation like this. right? You can say whatever you want about, oh, we adapted a system from another sport, and that's why it gives us problems. It gives them problems, too. And, and you saw it there uh, on Saturday night. So however you scored it, the answer is, is probably fair, given how we judge fights. But how we judge fights, I, I still believe, whether it's boxing or it's MMA, is in desperate need of complete revision. Now, the other takeaway I had was that, well, yes, it was a fun fight, and you know, everyone was out there crying about it. Uh, but it was more than just a fun fight, right? Like, here's the reality. I like MMA more than boxing. Um, your, your mileage may vary, depending on what you're watching. This. My guess is if you're watching a show called The MMA Hour, you probably like MMA more, but let's just say that you're not that way. Like you like boxing more. Okay. Uh, there's nothing quite like a main event like that in boxing. Now you get some good ones in MMA. You get some epic ones in MMA. Don't misunderstand me. And generally, I think MMA action is better, but there is something special about a 12 round boxing fight where there's all these swings in momentum and then these new narratives that develop and then fade and then new narratives develop. And then there's this overarching narrative. And then there's these two stories of everybody clashing and coming together. Uh, it is, it creates for a, I think a much richer level of drama, frankly, than what you can often get in MMA. Now, not entirely. Don't get misunderstand me. You see like a rock'em sock'em like Lawler versus Condit. And that is just true beauty uh, in its most violent form. But 
I would just say that kind of process comes a lot easier and that kind of outcome comes a lot easier to a really epic boxing main event. And, and that was a great example of that on Saturday night where Cotto comes out and you can see Triple G was trying to react to it and his jab was working and then his jab was working hard late and he was much more accurate with the several punch combos and he was getting out of the way and, and Canelo got tired but he kept marching forward and he never got up against the fence or the, not the fence, I'm sorry, the, um, the ring and just all these different back and forth. I mean, it was incredible to watch. And you know, you had Dave Chappelle in attendance and LeBron James and Charles Barkley. There's just something magic about it, man. There's something magic about it. And you can get it in MMA. Don't misunderstand me. I know a lot of folks will be like, oh my God, you like boxing better? I do not like boxing better. But you just can't deny how much drama, narrative, action, uh, and everything and the like, how much you can pack in to a 36-minute-plus, 12-round main event in boxing. In that sense, it is uh, so utterly peerless. Last note about this. I saw some writers from Europe after the fight being like, how come the boxing fans don't seem to care about PEDs in their sport as much as in cycling? Yeah, I've got news for you. Because you fans and media in cycling are anti-doping zealots who have taken your, your, your joyless Fs who have tried to suck out all the fun imaginable from your sport, and that hasn't quite been done in combat sports yet. Uh, also, when you have these structures in place in a sport like cycling, like the Tour de France and the races in Spain and everything else, yes, star power still matters, but the architecture is still basically in place. In a sport like MMA and, and boxing, where they are utterly reliant uh, on, what you call it, on... Um, Stars, well then, what are you going to do? All right. Let's go to Danny Segura for just a second, shall we? Let's do that. Danny, why don't you come up on the screen here? All right, what's the word on Misty and Jacek? Uh, I just called her. She is unavailable. She's right unavailable. Now. So why don't we do yes. this? Let's do, let's, do the, um, let's do the sound off. Mm -hmm. And if there's time at the end of the show... We'll see if we can put her back on. How about that? Okay. Sounds good. All right. So that, ladies and gentlemen, means it is time right here on the Luke Thomas show. Well, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Right here on the MMA Hour. I'm so confused already for the sound off. Hit it. All right, Danny. All right. So we talk about Olenek, right? Yes. Let's talk about Hunt. Let's talk about Hunt. Play it. My name is Aaron. I'm calling from Montreal. Uh, just wondering, what do you guys think is next for Mark Hunt after uh, the submission loss to Olenek? Uh, he seems to still be in great shape, fighting great at 44. He seems that he can still hang and bang with the best in the world. Got caught in a submission by Olenek. But, um, what's next for him? Should he wait for uh, Ngannou to see what happens there? Um, what do you guys think? Thanks. Yeah, good call. Good call. You know what I think, Danny? He's still ranked around eight. Now he might drop, so he might be somewhere around the top ten, depending on how the rankings go. And again, everyone's going to dispute. Oh, the rankings. He belongs X and not Y position. I'm only using ten as like let's say a rough placeholder. Maybe it's nine. Maybe it's eleven or twelve. Let's just see. But uh, my point would be, um, what about a fight against Tai Tuivasa? Right, the pride of uh, New Zealand versus the pride of Australia. Something like that, or no? You guys, you know, sort of two guys with the same background, basically. Uh, aren't they? Aren't they uh, related? If I'm not mistaken, they might be. 
I think All they the are. Or, or is that with Tyson Pedro? Uh, you know, I can't even remember anymore. I can't keep it straight. He's been a sparring partner with him forever, so they probably wouldn't. But I'm just saying that to me, I always love those kinds of stories mm-hmm. where there's like a familial or camp relation and whether or not they'll do it. So let's say you could exclude that. You could still do, um, I guess you could do Arlovsky. You could do Tybora, something like that. Maybe maybe you could, well, Verdum's going to be out for two years, so you couldn't do that. But yeah. somewhere in that space, a Struve rematch, I guess, if you wanted to. It really all depends. There's nothing quite obvious. But here's what I will say, Danny. Whoever the opponent is, is I'm not saying irrelevant, but look, he's going to finish out his UFC career, right? So what's going to happen? He's probably going to still hold positions like this maintaining a spot as either a main or a co-main on cards overseas. Probably that's where you're going to see him. That's my hunch. What about you? Yeah. Um, and I was just looking at the rankings. I mean, he's fought almost everybody in there. So, I mean, a lot of these fights would be rematches, and a lot of these guys are also booked. I, I guess the Andre Orlovsky one makes sense. And, yeah, I guess for, for the for the Oceania market, you know, he's still a very important asset and a, a very big name. And, frankly, like, I know he's older and, you know, he's, um, you know, a, a bit on a downhill, but he, I don't get the sense of, oh, this guy needs to retire as, like, no. some other guys. Like, no, no. he still looks game. You know, he can still he's, get he, a few wins for look, sure. Look, he landed a huge punch yeah. on Olenek, right? Like, yeah. that would have dropped a lot of guys. Olenek, you know, is is a tough, tough guy, so he didn't. But, yeah, you're right. I still think he's competitive for sure. Yeah. All right, should we go on next? Yes, let's please do that, Danny. Segura. Talking about older fighters. Let's keep Let's keep that conversation going. Going on, Mr. Luke Thomas. Love the show, my man. My name is Charles Jalen. I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. My question is regarding to BJ Penn. What do you feel is the reason he is still fighting? Um, you think it's mental or is he searching for past glory? I feel the last person to beat a prime BJ, in my opinion, was Frankie Edgar. Nowadays, he's just been losing left and right. And uh, do you feel that a prime BJ can hang with the 155s? And 145s of today. Thanks, man. Great question. By the way, Danny, piece of trivia. Did you know that I went to high school in the Atlanta area? No, I did not. Yes, I did. I feel like we learned uh, something new about you. Every right. Show. Shouts to everyone at Marietta High School. Uh, terrible school. <laughs> I learned next to nothing. No, I'm teasing. Uh, but uh, yes, I went to high school outside the Atlanta area, Marietta, which is Cobb County, which is right outside Fulton County. Fulton County is Atlanta. So, yes, in fact, I did. Um, you know, I asked Ryan Hall about it. If you're Ryan Hall, I understand why you want to take the fight, right? Because, yeah. hey, hey, you've just been off for two years, right? you got to get back in there. That's number one. Number two, BJ Pencil has a big name. People care about BJ. He is a legend. He's a freaking Hall of Famer officially, right? Yep. And then three, look, I, I don't see how you could possibly argue he's not diminished. I, I just I just don't know how you – he hasn't won since 2010. Yeah. Now, he did have a draw in that time, but he hasn't won since 2010. It's a long time, man. It's a long time. BJ was the first and probably the only fighter, Danny. I don't know how you feel about this. It's hard for me to watch him because I used to idolize the guy, and I still do, about what he was able to accomplish. He could wrestle. He had a jab. Obviously, his jiu-jitsu was just out of this world. He was hard to hurt. He had a chin. I mean, he was everything. He was the perfect fighting machine for a time. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think he should be continuing to fight. I'm not a regulatory uh, officiant. I have no say over this. I don't say it out of hate. I don't say it out of a need to just bring down others. I say it out of total concern. Let me make one point, Danny, if I may. A lot of people say you can never tell another person when to retire, and that's true. I can't. I can't. I'm not someone's mother. I literally cannot make anybody stop. 
But if you sit in a chair like this or a chair like yours, Danny, or you have a microphone or there's a camera on your face, you also have a responsibility to say what you're seeing. And if someone is going too long, there's going to be a time where you have to say something. Now, you have to exercise some discretion and you have to be very, very understanding of your own uh, limitations in terms of what you might see. But this notion that you just have to keep your mouth shut while somebody keeps going, at some point it becomes unethical to do that. So that's not true. We just have to be careful about it. So what I'm saying is out of an abundance of care and appreciation for the career of BJ Penn, I don't think he can hang with the modern 155ers. And I would really like to see him move on to competitive grappling or get some kind of role inside the UFC as an ambassadorship. Because here's what I do know, Danny. He is still beloved. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you look at like the interview numbers that, uh, that we did, like with in the Guillermo Cruz interview, like clearly people still care about BJ Penn, right? I mean, we're talking about him right now. Um, but, but I agree with you. And look, when we get on in, in front of a camera, I'm not going to sit here and lie to people and give you things and say things that I don't believe in. I think BJ Penn should retire. But look, at, at the end of the day, we can also be completely wrong about this. What if he goes in there and smokes, uh, Ryan Hall? That's definitely a possibility, right? But, I mean, taking a, a good look at his previous performances, you know, it doesn't point like that's going to happen. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Sure. Um, but, you know, I'm not comfortable with BJ stepping back in the octagon. But if he is, if you absolutely must do it, at least is at 155. So, you know, he's not going to be putting his body through a drastic weight cut. Agreed. And two is against Ryan Hall. Look, Ryan Hall is a, a great fighter uh, against Gray Maynard. He displayed a very good striking, but this is not a guy that's going to go in there and just knock you out and, and cause a lot of damage in that sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, he got the perfect matchup. So I am somewhat con not, not content, but look, if he's going to fight, at least he, he got, you know, the best possible scenario for a return. I think I agree with all that. Uh, I would say this. I think people are sleeping on Ryan's jujitsu and then his yeah. round and pound because you haven't seen a whole lot of it. But I have felt his control personally. He doesn't look like some physical powerhouse, but I got to tell you, when you when you lock up with him, um, he's very strong, very strong. He's got that you know like he, that. you know what kind of strength he has. He's got that American Ninja Warrior strength. Yeah, you know yeah what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Well, these get you get these baristas finger strength. Yeah, like you yeah. get these dudes who look like they're in a trench coat mafia, but then they can just go across the monkey bars real fast. Yeah. He's got that kind of man. He, he he grabs your wrist and it's hard to break it. And he's like half my size. So yeah, yeah, he's strong. Oh, I bet. But BJ is strong too. So yeah, go. we'll see. I mean, at this point, it's already you know the ship's it's, the fight's exactly. gonna happen. Exactly. So here we so go. At this point, let's just enjoy it. Um, now let's switch topics and let's talk about Oscar De La Hoya and his involvement in MMA. All right, this ought to be fun. What's up, Luke Thomas? This is Steve from Central Indiana. Just sitting here watching some fight previews with my little baby daughter, trying to get you some more female fans for the future, so we're bringing her up right. Thank but you. I wanted to ask a question of you guys today. I just got done watching the Ortiz-Liddell uh, press conference for their third fight, and I was kind of surprised at De La Hoya's demeanor throughout the press conference. Uh, he said he was trying to be uh, an uh, empowerment entity for the fighters instead of a competitor to the UFC. And with all the profit sharing that they are going to be having with this fight, do you think that Oscar is actually starting something positive for the sport of MMA as opposed to just answering back uh, to Dana White and the UFC for their Mayweather-McGregor fight with an Ortiz-Liddell three-bout? Have a great day, guys. Bye-bye. That's a good question. Very good question. Yeah. yeah. So he was on uh, – I had him on my radio show. We tried to get him on this one. The timing didn't work. So I had him on my radio show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked him that very question. I was like, how much of this 
because you know he's a vicious competitor yes. against top rank and or he tries to be anyway. Uh, and um, you know, so in the boxing space, you see that kind of thing all the time. Plus, remember those outbursts that he had prior to Mayweather McGregor. This is the worst thing ever. This I can't believe this is not real boxing. Blah blah blah. And uh, in the end, I actually think that that fight helped boost the profile of the uh, first Triple G Canelo fight. Mm-hmm. But this idea that this is all philanthropy is to become, let's be serious. This is clearly not true. Like what's, let me be, look, the UFC gets into trouble a little bit because they are worth four and 7 billion. And there's a question of profit sharing, right? Or when Dana White tries to bring in, um, you know, I think he, the Las Vegas review journal reported that he had brought in, or maybe he even tweeted it on social media, you know, he brought in a snow in his house or in his driveway. So his, I think kids could play with it during Christmas. So, so something like that. Some sort of like true display of, of, of financial he wealth. He brought Kendrick Lamar to his son's uh, okay. birthday party. Here's the truth about that. On its face, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. Look, you're allowed to make profit in this country. In fact, when you make profit or I make profit, uh, usually that means people around us might be able to make profit as well. That's pro- making money. I, so, I, I don't mean to sound like Gordon Gecko, but I'm sorry. Like, there is a value to to being able to earn money, particularly a lot of it. The question is how it gets distributed, and that's a separate conversation for a separate time. But I'm not mad at UFC for making money. I'm not mad at Dana White for make, for being rich. And if Oscar De La Hoya wants to make money in MMA, good. Not enough people make money inside MMA, whether it's media or fighters or whoever. So I don't know why he can't just be honest. Like, I get the pitch, right? The pitch is... Are you an, uh, hey, everybody, my name's Oscar De La Hoya. You might not know me from my uh, work inside, I do, in, uh, the work that I do inside MMA, but uh, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, do you feel like you're underpaid? Because if you do, then I'm the guy for you. That's really what this is about. It's like a, it's a bit of a dog whistle to all the fighters out there who are unhappy with their pay. It's not, it's not a philanthropy. He's not out there. I, I just don't care about anything else other than making sure those guys are paid. Yes, he wants to get them paid because he wants enough money to come in that they get paid and he get paid. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't understand. I, I get the sales pitch, but it just seems a little silly to be like, well, what really matters to me is yeah. taking care of these fighters. No, everyone wants to get rich. Go get rich. It's fine. That's where I come down. So he asked, uh, you know, is is this fight, if, 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 are his MMA efforts good for MMA, right? So we just talked about, or you just talked about the profit section. Yeah. What about the fact of putting Ortiz and Liddell in a fight? I mean, is that good for MMA? You know, I didn't think so, but here's the reality. Like, Mayweather and Pacquiao are going to fight, and they've, you know, Pacquiao's certainly taken a ton of damage. I mean, when I saw him get flatlined by Marquez, I thought for sure that, I, I was like, did he, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even trying to joke. I thought he died for a second. That was a vicious KO. And he's been fighting since then. Big, tough guys, too. Like, um, So in any case, he's taken a ton of damage, and, and God only knows what kind of tax bills he has to, to answer for. You know, we hear the tens of millions. But um, look, they put the fight in California. Uh, we talked about this in the MMA beat. Yep. And both those guys passed all their tests. So the, the, the central tension in here is, um, are we cynical and not realizing that these guys are much healthier than we think or certainly capable of fighting? Or are these tests worthless? And I don't have the, enough medical information to know whether these tests are worthless. So they went to the state with one of the tougher regulatory schemes in place. Mm-hmm. What can I really say, dude? I, hear, I, I think if he's successful and other fighters can get paid in the way in which he envisions, that ultimately is good. But if this is some exploitative affair where guys don't get paid the way they're supposed to, where there are uh, health risks associated with what they're doing, then in the end, it'll be a very different report card.
That's true. I agree with that. By the way, real quickly. Yep. Uh, did you see what Tito said this week? I did. Yes. <laughs> Can I read it? Look, go ahead. Read it. Well, no, no, no. I, I have a thought about that. All right. All right. Here's what he said. Someone asked him, like, uh, I forget exactly what the question was. It was, um, it, they asked him that, you know, Chuck Liddell was basically saying, like, oh, Tito just wants this fight because he's jealous of my career. Like, uh, I, I was the star, you know, in, in, in that era. He was, and he was second to me. He's jealous, and, and that's why he's taking this fight. Okay, here's what he says. Jealous of him. This guy can't even put an effing sentence together, man. Are you kidding me right now? He's reaching for he's reaching for those grapes. He's trying to make his wine, and the wine's already sounding like a violin with that cheese and wine. We'll see on the November 24th. Perfect sense. You know what? Yeah. Well, because to, to give a little bit of context, the, the interviewer did say, like, oh, th this is sour grapes for me. Oh, so I that's see, why that got brought up. Uh, but I have a, a few things to say about that. I know okay, Ortiz. Defend him. Uh, look, I'm not defending him. Look, everyone. I'm partially defending Everyone clowns Tito. Yes. Whenever I go to, I've said it a thousand times, people clown Tito on social media. And then when you go to a Tito fight, the crowd is chanting his <laughs> name. It's just a I fact. I believe it. It's I believe just it. a fact. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because, like, Everybody gives him, you know, hate for all his little quotes and all the the little <laughs> clips that come out from his interviews, because uh, he does say some things that are off, like this, right? Like well, this doesn't make totally, much sense. This is totally but look, the the truth is that speaking on camera is extremely difficult. I mean, I'll I'll just say this: we get a bunch of voicemails of people calling, and we get three, four back to back uh, calls from the same person. They just go on, they're like, "Hi, this is," uh, and then they get all nervous and they hang up, and then they do it a second time, a third time. Uh, so it's it's. I'm I'm not defending Tito, but I feel like people think uh, being interviewed and, and and being on camera is is a lot easier than than what it actually is. And sometimes you say dumb things. Look, I've said dumb things. Everybody has said dumb things. Yeah, I don't think I've said anything like that, though. Right. No way. You haven't said anything about the grapes and violin. And To, to, to your point, you're <laughs> absolutely right. Talking on camera is hard. Yeah. I've said a number of very stupid things. Uh, I did some commentary gigs early on in my MMA career. I go back and listen to them, and they're all cringeworthy, terrible. Um, people often, like when I've criticized other commentators, people have often asked me, oh, what, you could do better? No. No, I cannot, but I can at least make an, uh, an assessment about what is yeah. and isn't going right. But uh, you're right. But here's the, also the point. If you have that kind of liability, limiting that liability exposure is – or limiting the exposure to that liability is kind of important. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Here's what I know. I think this fight's going to do well. I don't know how many pay-per-views it's going to sell, but people are going to be in that arena to see Tito and Chuck. So laugh it up now, but they're going to have the last one. I am so. very confident of that. I think it'll do well. All right, next. All right, let's keep the the boxing MMA theme going on. All right. Hey, Luke. Hey, Luke. This is Carlos from Austin, Texas, and basically just wanted to ask your thoughts on, based off this weekend off the big boxing showdown, what if Connor beats Khabib? Does Connor call out Canelo? Is that even worth a uh, another circus slash money fight? I want to see what your thoughts on that was. Thank you. I know it's a bit of a silly question at first, but. Think about it. Is it possible that McGregor hits goes back to the boxing, uh, the boxing world? Boy, that would be a real bad idea to go box Canelo. A horrible idea. But I mean, tell bad. me that wouldn't sell. Um, it would sell. I actually feel like if he's fighting Pacquiao again, why wouldn't he fight McGregor again? Mm -hmm. Or why wouldn't even this seems less likely? Why wouldn't Mayweather fight? Not. Nah, I don't. I don't think he will because this would be a bad idea. But if you're talking about something that would be a revenue generator, 
Mayweather Canelo too would be a revenue generator, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, I would say uh, Canelo, no chance. That is just. I mean, you could Reaching say for the stars. Could, I mean, it was the argument was well, Mayweather's one of the best of his generation, but he's long past it, and his legs looked like they weren't there in that fight against McGregor, right? Like relative to who he used to be, anyway. Right. Um, you know, Canelo is twenty eight, bro. <laughs> Canelo's twenty eight, dude. You know what's amazing about Canelo? He's a hard hitter, which we already knew. Mm-hmm. Dude, his chin—he has a fire hydrant. Yeah. You just look at what Triple G was doing his whole career. Marching guys down and then sending them to the canvas, like get down and just did it with pain commands. He, he may have barely stumbled Canelo once or twice over 24 rounds. That is shocking, dude. Trust me. If he wanted to make money, that's a great way for McGregor to make money. That seems like a terrible idea for your health. Yeah. What about any other matchup? Poly Malinaji? The Malinaji one is the right one to make if you want to make money and have it be reasonably competitive because you have the sparring session footage, you have all of them going back and you got forth. A story. And it's the kind of I think it's the like I think it's the kind of fight that McGregor would wouldn't mind being in, which is to say he likes the matchup itself, plus the media circus, because he just dominates the media circus. Yeah. And then to sick his fans on Malinaji, uh either in person or on social media. And not like to attack, but I mean verbally attack, uh, dude. He he just controls the entire thing. So maybe maybe that's a way to go. Maybe. All right, now we got a request from an international fan. A request from an yes, international fan. Is it? Yep. Is okay. Let's see. Good afternoon, Luke. A little bit How are you doing? Well, this is Miguel, one of your biggest fans from Spain. Oui. And I, wa- I wanted to ask you something real quick. Is Me encanta España. Can you please stop insulting my favorite football team, Barcelona? Because uh, I like listening to you and watching your podcasts, but I do it for the MMA. If you speak about football, please be respectful with the other teams because you have very, very big fans, Barcelona fans listening to you. And, <laughs> We don't like getting like cheap shots in every single <laughs> podcast or program you or show you you participate in. Thank you very much. Will you stop taking cheap shots well, at Barcelona? Okay, it's a good question, Danny. Now let me pitch this one back to you. And uh-huh. here's why. Now we hate each other on game day because we both cheer for rival teams from the same city. That is correct. But here is the one thing we have in common. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. We also both hate Barcelona. So what would you do? <laughs> well, I don't really take. I respect Barcelona. I respect. I respect. Barcelona. Bar- I respect you can respect Messi. and hate somebody at the same time. But I, you know, is that my hatred for Real Madrid is so big? You that, hate Real more than Barcelona? Yeah. Hell yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So well, that's a tough cross to bear. Well, Supercopa champion, so the, oh <laughs> I'm still holding on to the preseason win you yeah, love I know. to talk I, about. I, we haven't been doing too well in the season, so I can't probably talk much. Yeah, hashtag Celta Vigo. Don't yeah. think I didn't see that game. Anyway, oh, what should I do? What's the right call here? Because I don't want to piss off people yeah. who like the show and like me, because there's mm-hmm. about five people who like me in the world, uh, which I understand and I'm okay with. But if I don't have to make enemies unnecessarily, what do I do? Do I just stop talking about Barcelona on the show at all? Barcelona. 
No, look, I, I think maybe this this caller, because, um, you know, a lot of people think when you hate on someone, you you automatically do not respect them. No, no, I respect I, Barcelona. I think it's I think it's fine to hate on, on, on any other team that's not yours. But, you know, dude, throw it out, put, put it out there. You know, you, you respect Barcelona. Dude, you know? every maybe. every time there's El Clasico, your boy is sweating bullets every yeah. time, every time, every time. Uh, Dangerous team, and they're looking good, man. Yeah, they look, looking, they, always, look, they good. always look good. Yeah. You know how much it made me sick to my stomach when I was in Barcelona on my vacation, having to go around. And I, we, we took a, you ever do those, um, you ever do those uh, hop on, hop off bus tours? Uh, yes, I did that in, I didn't do that in Barcelona. No? I did that in Italy. So here's why I always recommend if you ever travel to Europe, they're cheap, they're like 30 bucks a ticket or less, and yeah. you can get them also until like two days. I always get the hop on, hop off bus tour. Any city I go to, it's the first thing I do. Because it's just an easy way to see the city, and they uh, they stopped by the Camp New on the tour. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I had Did you get sick. I had automatically out of you know what's amazing out of nowhere. I just laid eyes on Camp New, and then I had explosive diarrhea right away. Oh man, I don't know how that. Ha- I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a correlation between the two. Yeah. I I don't know, but it seemed like the events were related. But dude, everywhere like you want to talk about people who rep their team in a city. Oof. I've never been. You can go like. The only equivalent would be here in New York, all the people who wear Yankees caps. You know, Yankees caps are like the universal cap or something. Yeah. Uh, that's about like that. You go to Barcelona, bro, and they rep hard. Yeah, it's more them. than a team. Mesque yeah. un club. Yep. All right. All right. So now let's talk about uh, Habib uh, and Connor. And this this was an interesting question. Also, uh, really lastly, like sorry, lastly. Yeah. Paula Madrid. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, Patleti. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Hey, it's Matt from New York. I want to know what's more likely. Connor submitting Khabib or Khabib, Khabib uh, knocking out Connor. Thank you very much. Ooh, and not not ground up pound on the feet, right? I think that's what this caller. You know, so you have to be very careful with these kinds of things. So remember when Mac Danzig fought Mark Bocek? Do you remember that? Long time ago. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know their resumes, Mac Danzig was always a very good fighter, very well rounded, very good on the ground. But Mark Bocek was maybe one of the premier Canadian talents in sport jiu-jitsu, much less inside the UFC. Like, like as good as Mac Danzig was, uh, Mark Bocek, pure jiu-jitsu, way better. And then Mark Bocek, over time, had shown a propensity for adapting his jiu-jitsu for MMA purposes. So I remember in the outset when the, that weekend... Uh, they're like, predictions for the fight, Luke. And I'm like, I don't know who's going to win, or I, I forget who I picked. But I was like, there's no way on planet Earth that Mark Bocek is going to get submitted by Mac Danzig. And sure enough, he did. And the reason why was not because necessarily it was jujitsu for jujitsu and he just beat him. It was because he beat him up to the point where he was able to use what jujitsu he had, which again was very, very good. And I think he took his back, pounded him out, and then maybe choked him out, something like that. Uh, and that was just one of those lessons. So here's the point. If Habib can knock – Habib, yes, can knock Connor out on the feet. And, yes, Connor can absolutely sub uh, Habib. These things are absolutely possible given a variety of other circumstances that have to take place. So I would say his question was, Danny, if I recall correctly, which one is more likely? Yep, correct. Right, which one is more likely? I would say – it's more likely it's more likely that Habib knocks out Connor on the feet, yeah. which is to say not likely at all, but I can see a case where Connor's getting thrashed, 
makes it to the end of a round, gets up, and remember how remember how tired he looked, Danny, in that Mayweather fight where yep. he was just like stumbling around, almost looked drunk because he had no energy. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, where he's not much of a striking threat, I can see Habib going after him on the feet. I can see. I don't think it's likely. That's not how I see the fight going. But for Connor to submit Habib again, it could be uh, could be possible. But for that to happen, they have to be on the ground, right? If they're yeah. on the ground, dude, Connor's got devastating ground and pound. He doesn't have like this this avalanche of attack, but what he does have is super precise, mm-hmm. hard shots, dude. That turns guys' belly down. It makes them cover up. It makes them go to sleep. So to me, if they're on the ground, Habib's going to get ground and pound if it's going, you know, for Connor. Yeah. And on the feet, I just see again terribly unlikely, but I can at least imagine that happening before. Habib getting submitted. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I have to agree with that. And even if like let's say Connor for some reason you know wobbles Habib and and it ha- and has the opportunity to sink in a submission on the ground, like a lot of submissions, you know they they put you in a certain position where you may be giving up a uh, position, right? If you don't get it, and I don't think Connor's willing to take that gamble. Connor is a really really smart fighter. I don't think he's going to drop for a guillotine just even if Habib is super hurt just because like there is a chance that he might get out and well, he's now on bottom. Yeah. And that, that is hell. So I, I would, I would agree with, uh, with your statement. I think Habib knockout is probably the most likely one. Well, given the two scenarios, right? Which is to say also not very likely, <laughs> not, not very, very likely. likely either. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, keep the Connor Habib train rolling. All right. Let's do it. And uh, this is another important point that another fan brings up that we didn't, at least me personally, didn't really think about. What's up, Luke? Andy from Connecticut. Wondering, I hear a lot of scenarios going around. If Connor wins, who he can match up with. If Connor loses, who he can match up with. Haven't heard anyone talked about the immediate rematch. Any chance Connor loses and plants his feet and gets a second title shot? against Khabib? Okay. Interesting question. I hadn't thought much about it. I'll say this. Um, huh. That's a good one. I would say uh, if the end is, if there's a split decision, 100%. If there is some kind of referee error or the referee gets involved in a way where folks feel like the result isn't as legitimate as it should be, Hundred percent. If the fight is competitive, tooth and nail, uh, and folks think the wrong guy won, even if again, so for example, people think Triple G won, I did, but he didn't. Uh, but you can make a case for you know either guy that scenario. But if somebody gets wiped, I mean, they've done these before. Like the guest, I don't know if we're gonna get you want AJ check at this point. I don't know what the hell's happening, but uh, remember she lost to Rose Namajunas and then back to back she fought Rose Namajunas, but she was the champion. She was the champion, so it changed things. I'm just pointing out they'll, they'll do that two times in a row. So, but let's say Habib gets smashed. Do they do it again? Maybe, maybe because well, let's say he goes into the fight injured. Oh, I had a busted rib. I had a broken ankle or something in those scenarios. But if it's like a normal fight, like, 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 for example, if it, let's say it looks like the Alvarez fight, if it looks like the Connor versus Alvarez fight, Hard to know what the purpose or value or, frankly, the upside would be of doing it back-to-back at that point. It would seem gratuitous and unnecessary, especially, Danny, where if Connor's back and he looks that good or something, right? Then you got Tony Ferguson waiting out there. You got a lot of different possibilities. You got Nate Diaz waiting out there. You would need a very compelling reason to supersede those things. Yeah, I I would say 
the Diaz, I believe, is a big factor in this because if, if Conor Lucen is bad, he can still have that third Diaz fight and make a lot of money, right? Like, he doesn't need Habib. He doesn't even, frankly, need the title, to be honest. Uh, and I don't think Nate Diaz wants the shot at the title either. So he would rather take Conor coming off a loss than take a shot at the title, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think if that's the case, we'll not see a, a rematch. But if there's any little doubt, any type of controversy, whether it's you, a referee or decision or even or even if this decision's correct and it was just a competitive fight, you know, like it wasn't a wipeout, I can for sure see Connor. Look, I can do better than this. Uh, you know, this was in me that night rematch and you could absolutely sell that rematch, even if it's a fair decision. All right. What do we want to do about you? You want to give her another try? Um, sure. Yeah, let me give her a call. If not, we still have a few questions we can tackle. All right, we'll, we'll see away. what the word is there. I'll uh, okay. I'll wait for you. Let me know in my ears, please. Once you okay for sure. So hopefully we can get her on, and then we'll do that. I guess we'll see. Uh, as always, by the way, you can submit your calls using our email address. I think a bunch of them must have come that way. The MMA Hour at voxmedia.com. Not MMA Hour at voxmedia.com. The MMA Hour at VoxMedia.com. And of course, you can also call the hotline at any time, 844-866-2468. Two great ways to get in touch with us. And of course, you already know about the tweets using the hashtag The MMA Hour. So three ways, really two and a half, but three ways you can get in touch with us and be a part here of the sound of. I always love doing the calls. At some point, I like to do them live. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out down the road. Um, taking calls is one of my favorite things to do. It's one of the most important things I think to do. Really, if you think about it, like taking calls or even live calls or even voice messages, it's like the original social media, right? You re you say something, people react, you go back and forth to that. Um, and this is sort of like real meaningful interaction at times. I, I, I like that. I really, that's one of my favorite things to do. A little bit hard to, 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 um, to do given some limitations, right? A lot of people get nervous calling or, um, you know, not every topic is call worthy, but certainly one of my favorite things to do. Uh, hope we can get Misty and Jacek here. Uh, if not, we'll finish up with some calls and, uh, that'll be that. So y'all see her interaction with the reporter over the weekend. That was a little odd, right? That was a little weird. Um, but it was hard to tell if that reporter was like fishing, fishing for her to say something negative on purpose, in which case. You know, you, sh you shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, I don't really feel like it's off limits to ask those questions. So it was it was a it, it was in that middle space where it was a little bit hard to tell what was up, and what was down. Um, but uh, hopefully we can get a chance to ask her here and we'll see how that goes. Um, let me see. What else? Anything I'm forgetting from the weekend? Uh, of course, Eric Anders. Shouts to Eric Anders for doing a phenomenal job. Winning his last fight, getting right back on the horse, going right back to Brazil. Uh, I feel bad for Jimmy Manoa. I don't know what happened there, but taking on Tiago Santos, man, Eric Anders is a beast. We were talking about the MMA beat, excuse me, yes, the MMA beat, how he had this great momentum going into the Leona Machida fight, doesn't win, and it got real quiet. Well, then he got that last win that was great, and then he can go down to Brazil and get another one back to back like that. Well, he can, he can resume the kind of trajectory. I think that he was on before, uh, which would be phenomenal to see. All right, do we have any resolution, Danny, or what? Yes, no? Oh, look, it's 1.55. I mean, you know, we're out of time. We got to move on. You know, what are we going to do? Let's just move on, all right? We can't, you know, I, I got things to do. I don't know what happened. I apologize. Sometimes we have guests, and then sometimes 
things happen. What are you going to do? Let's do some more questions and then we'll call it a day. It's kind of weird that we have these guests and at the last minute they keep falling through. It's a little hard to understand why this keeps happening, but yeah, it's always hard to schedule and manage life things, right? Yeah, yeah, it certainly is difficult. Yeah, certainly, certainly been interesting here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Any more calls, please? Um. Okay. So, the you want to talk about about bantamweight division or about champions overall? We got two different questions. Oh, you know what? It's your birthday. You can pick birthday boy. Okay, sure. I'm gonna go with the more interesting one. So uh, here we go. <laughs> Why did you just say that from the get go? Well, it depends. What what might be interesting to me might not be interesting to you. Yeah, we right? usually copacetic in that regard. All right, go ahead. Hey, Danny. Hey, Luke. Welcome back. This is Angel calling us from South Florida. So my question is, with Montano being stripped and stating that it was partly for her not being a draw. Should Woodley and other champions who are not a draw be in fear of also being stripped of their belts? Great question. What it a, is what a, a fantastic question. Phenomenal. Dude, the questions the last two weeks on the phone, dude, they've been rock solid. They've been fuego. Rock solid. Uh, you know what? I have made this point, and people have dismissed it. They have laughed at it. They have said there's no way. But when you create all these interim titles, and then you take them away, and then there's this creep into the space of the champion now again i'm not saying there's no good case for stripping nico montano champion shows up and doesn't even weigh in that's a problem in some regard to her responsibility needs to be paid at the same time you can't think about the broader you can't ignore rather the broader context here which is that there's just uneven application of justice there's really no rules a lot of this was done probably to facilitate getting the belt towards valentina shevchenko anyway there's just a lot of things that are that are not considerations about the about the infraction in question. And I think as you begin to devalue titles generally, and as you begin to find reasons to take titles, first interim, now full on flyweight, do I think Tyron Woodley is in jeopardy of losing his title? No, I do not. Um, I still think that there is a lot of value to that and a lot of protection that comes with that title. But if these guys think they're immune, they are very much mistaken. Yeah, I feel like the Nico one was a very specific and special situation. I don't, I don't think we'll get a lot of those cases uh, in the future, if if any. But it does bring up a flag. Like if you're a champion and let's say you're not a huge draw, and little things happen where you get injured or you're in, unable to fight for whatever reason, like there could be a chance, right? It's not far fetched to just think, hey, they might just strip me. So. Uh, it is it is kind of worrisome, right? If you if you're a champion and you're not a top draw. Anything else? One more? Then we'll call it a day. One more. All right, let's go to the other one. Let's do it. Hey, what's going on, Danny and Luke? This is Craig calling from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I just had a question with uh, the basketball division being held up. I want to know what you guys' thoughts were on Aljo versus Dominic Cruz. You know, he called him out after the fight. I'd like to see that more than him versus Jimmy uh, Jimmy Rivera. And uh, Aljo looks great. I mean, worst case scenario, Aljo beats Dominic, and he's right in this, you know, shot for a title. And if Dominic beats him, then it's the warm up fight he needs to uh, get a shot at the title. So uh, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Thanks. What do you think of his of his call out and uh, that matchup? First of all, to be done. First of all, shouts to Aljamain Sterling, who, you know, you talk about guys getting better and better, and then I think a lot of times analysts overstate things. 
I don't think you can overstate that with Aljo. The last fight, he's had two wins since the bad loss to Marais. Mm-hmm. He had the Brett Johns win and then this most recent one. And I thought to myself, you know what, man? His striking to me for the first, it's always been decent to good. This time I thought it was great. And yeah. more importantly, it was just fluid and instinctual and it just went. I really, really like what he had to show. To me, it's a smart call out. Dom does not appear to be all that interested. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but just mm-hmm. based on the reaction, it doesn't seem like that's the one he wants. I don't know what they're doing because you have Henry Cejudo out there over the weekend kind of hinting that the fight with TJ Dillashaw is going to happen, like some flyweight, bantamweight, um, you know, meeting of the minds. If that's the way they go, I guess that's the way they go. I would have liked to see Marlon Marais or even Aston Sal get a title shot. Yeah, but, that would be nice. But if they're going to do Cejudo versus Dillashaw, that frees up Marais to fight Cruz, if that's what they wanted to do. It just seems like Cruz doesn't want to do that. But if you're asking me, do I like the fight? I love the fight, and I really li- I really have a strong appreciation for the growth that Aljamain Sterling has been able to show. Yeah, and a lot of fighters have would have a hard time coming back from that knockout. That was a bad knockout, man. Yep. And uh, he's been able to look sharp, and not only that, but keep improving. And, so, and not and not gun shy at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm all for him getting a, a step up in competition if that means Dominic Cruz. But I doubt that fight happens, to be honest. Who do you think Dominic Cruz fights by the when it's all said and done? I feel like Dominic Cruz is at a space right now that if he really wants and he doesn't get the shot next, he can really sit out and he'll eventually get it. I mean, he is uh, one of the bigger names in a division. Uh, you know, he's still very skilled. So I, I honestly don't see him fighting anybody but for the title. All right. Uh, As an interim or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that does it for us. I apologize for, um, I don't know what happened with our third guest. I guess we'll figure it out after the show. But Danny, happy birthday to you. Feliz cumpleaños. And, um, you know, have some cake for me, all right? I will. We'll talk soon. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll be back next week. And until next time, stay frosty. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today